1: People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take that humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people,
2: you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Stoke the fire listeners of all ages, wherever you are around the world. Happy New Year. Today is January 1st. Happy New Year. 23. We're wearing double denim to celebrate the occasion. We've got a Canadian tuxedo situation happening here. But yours, my friend, has some beautiful patterns, which mine, sadly, does not. I, I uh, hate to, to
3: break you on this. I didn't say this earlier, but it's actually not denim. It's oh. it's, it's almost like a polyester. And the reason why I'm wearing this because my parents got it for me. And when I opened it up, I looked at it and I was like, huh, <laughs> could I wear this? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I, I can wear it. But I do like the patterns. It's a bit much, but it's kind of got that Southwestern native thing going. But yeah, it's I not love den- it, dude. It's, it's not denim and it's actually quite comfortable. So I'm going to wear it for the rest of the day.
2: And the material then you just showed me it there. Almost like yeah. tracksuit material. Yeah, almost like
3: a, yeah, yeah. A jumper. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I'm, re- I'm repping that as well. Camp oh, on, there you go. On the Love t-shirt it. underneath. We got the mugs as well. Um, we should at some point, because you still have a bunch of these at your house, we should get these up on a, a website of some kind and allow people to buy them. I'm sure you would appreciate the space. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, it's not a big deal. But
3: yes, I do have some. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm excited that we're, you know, it's been a while. And I'm I'm excited to uh, to sit here with you and have a nice chat. And for all you lovely people listening, thank you as always for for uh,
2: tuning in and listening. We love you guys. Did you just get a text? Then are you distracted? Are you reading? No. Your, are you reading your messages? Are you looking? Are you looking at your phone in class, Jesse Leach? No, I'm not. You, you promise <laughs> me you're not. Well, I'm going to look at mine because I have some notes. Because you join us today, <laughs> just throwing it aside. Uh, today's episode is not your regular episode. It is the first of its kind um on this podcast it's a best of we figured as we've been doing the patreon now for the best part of a year we figured the best way to kickstart a new year would be to showcase the best of our patreon episodes so far in the hope that many of you who are yet to come over and join the Patreon community will be tantalised uh, by by the you know the the clips that we'll share with you today. So to date, we've done thirteen episodes, but number thirteen has only just gone up, so that won't be included in this best of. But we have twelve segments from the first twelve full length Patreon podcasts. Um, To share with you today to talk a little bit about each one, in addition to these clips from these feature length conversations that we have there's all kinds of other really quite exclusive stuff from you in particular you share poetry, and, and you know tour diaries you've been a lot more active with your kind of personal. Um, sprinklings on Patreon, which I've seen have gone over so well and people get really excited about them and they always come from out of nowhere as well. So they're always a surprise and they're, they're greatly appreciated. I see it.
3: Yeah, it's for me, it's just, I feel, you know, I used to just kind of put it up on social media and just let it go. But, I, you know, I feel like people are going to support us, you know, t- to give people the incentive and also just sort of like to give back to people who are supporting us. You know, I am sharing personal stuff that I don't put on social media. So it's exclusive to the Patreon. You mentioned poetry, but also just thoughts. Like if I sit and I'm having a deep thought about something, I'll capture it and I'll share it with the community. I think that's what it's all about. You know, it's all about give and take. And our Patreon community has given us so much and supported us and just a great group of people. So I feel like there's the least I can do is just give extra, give more, you know?
2: Yeah, man. And the the friendships that have sprung from that community have been really beautiful to to kind of watch watch them flower and grow um, as well as kind of the you know just the general patreon page threads and discussion that goes on uh ryan who's one of our supporters over on patreon ryan maurice he's kind of spearheaded this but we now have a stoke the fire discord page which is exclusively available to people who support the show via patreon and i mean i don't even i can't keep up with the with the kind of chit chat that flies back and forth on there because there's so much of it but every now and again when I when I dip in there just seeing what's being discussed and shared people genuinely like supporting each other through challenging times in their lives sharing you know artistic suggestions for books and films and you know meals and there's just like a genuine and this you know we've thrown the word around a lot and I believe it is thrown around a lot in areas and spaces like this but with with this community that being the word i really feel like it has become way more than we could have ever envisaged it being and it's so much bigger than just you and i and that's what's really cool about patreon is we kind of just throw some stuff up there step back and then just allow everybody else to enjoy and share ideas and just to watch that is is kind of cool
3: yeah absolutely people who've uh, forged friendships Because of it, like actual friendships that have nothing to do with you and I, we might have sort of like, uh, got the wheels going and and sort of set the spark, if you will, but you know, it has nothing to do with us. It's the community's grown on its own. And I think that's really unique and amazing as well.
2: We're like matchmakers, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, like something like that. Un unsinister puppet masters. <laughs> uh, so we've got 12 clips. Let's get into the first one. And then what we'll do is we'll jump off the back of each clip and set up the next one and just bounce yeah. through in chronological order. So the first episode uh, was, as is always the case with you and I, we sat down to just set up the Patreon page, talk about what would be being shared on there. Uh, our reasons for starting a Patreon page, et cetera. Um, but as is often the case, we we wound up getting into some really deep and cool stuff. And this one in particular, uh, we spoke about home in a lot of detail and, and community again. And because I just moved to Bristol as we yeah. were kind of launching the Patreon page. Um, and we spoke about my sense of belonging here and yours over in Woodstock. And we had a really nice chat, which just kind of encompassed everything to do with, a sense of belonging and peace and contentment uh, and it, it sets off the patreon discussions to quite a um a kind of a, an intimate start i feel and we made a choice to only put out publicly didn't we the the kind of the guest episodes that we would do and so from i guess halfway through last year till now and, and going forward whenever we do one-on-one podcasts with you and i and whenever we do listener podcasts, they will always live on Patreon and we don't put them up anywhere else. And a lot of people have said to both of us over the time that we've done this show that their favorite episodes are indeed the ones where it's just you and me or or the listener ones. And, and now the only place where you can hear and enjoy those conversations is is Patreon. So if you're not already signed up, you're missing out.
3: Yeah, it's two different worlds, you know, and I think it's, it's in this day and age too of of you get everything for free. It's really not asking much for people to, if you're interested in what you hear and what you see, uh, what we're doing, um, it doesn't take much to sort of tap into the whole package. Um, And I think that that, you know, I think it's great too, because Patreon allows us to go deeper. There's less quote unquote pressure. It's a different vibe when it's just you and I, it's a different vibe on the Patreon page. And I think because of that, it's made it a little
2: more in depth, honestly. Hell yeah. Well, this is a little clip from Patreon episode number one. Enjoy this and we'll see you on the other side. Jesse, after the live show in New York, what did we do? Where did we go? What did we see? Uh, It was great because I I absolutely love where I live.
3: It's just this beauty here. There's a spirit here. You know, people hear Woodstock and they automatically assume the concert, which is cool. I get it. But that particular event took place about an hour and a half away but the people who created that community prior to and after the event of woodstock are here that spirit is still here there's a a great music community here there's art here there's a vibe there really is a magic here in woodstock and to be able to share that with you matt was incredible to be able to show you a little bit of um, you know what makes me who i am you know when we started this podcast i would always talk about going for my nature walks going doing this and that To be able to show you firsthand, like where I do that, or you know, have you stand in this room and and see the crazy psychedelic artwork here, and just kind of invite you into to the home that I've created with with purple, and and have you there for a few days, and go for a hike, check out some waterfalls, and then just have a good time listening to some music. Have you DJ in the back of the car as I drove through the countryside? Like all of that was just such a vibe, and. I kind of wish it would have been longer, but it was really nice just to have you for a few days and to sort of reconnect with you because physically, if the listeners have been paying attention, you know, we haven't hung out a ton of times, maybe a handful. Uh, and most of our relationship is this on a computer. So for you and I to be able to like just hang and, and not worry about the podcast and just be friends and be, be present in an area of the world that I consider home was was awesome. And I,
2: from what I gather, you had a great,
3: time as
4: well
2: (laughs) (laughs) you know i did dude and what's cool is (laughs) what's cool is we were initially going to record a bunch of stuff out there we were going to go up there with joey and annie we were going to make some videos and you know just gather as much stuff as we could for the patreon and and season two of the show and perhaps if we were more professional or sensible or forward thinking we would have done that but we both agreed that it would just be cooler for the pair of us to cement this relationship and this friendship and really wrap up the journey so far if we just took that time off you know work if you want i mean it's not work is it but you know what i mean off camera let's say and just enjoy each other's company and really connect on that friend level which we we you know we'd done many times before but um it wasn't you know quite the same as being there with you in your home uh just you know bring in this whole thing full circle and yeah. where it all started was around the campfire and we we ended the trip around the campfire with the power of some magical psychedelics and and that was it and then i was you know you very kindly this man this is what a fucking legend and a gentleman jesse leach is he woke up at about 5 a.m after we'd been to bed at about two he was sober i should point that out he'd stopped drinking but you know he hadn't had much sleep and he drove me all the way to the airport because he didn't want me you know well i probably wouldn't have been able to have get to the airport on time. No, no, um, no I would have had to have slept <laughs> slept in JFK the night before. So this man on about three hours sleep drove me, or and I like a selfish bastard, pretty much slept the whole way, wow. didn't I, Jesse?
3: Fine, <laughs> I go I go into a sort of like um, autopilot when I have to do shit like that. I'm so used to traveling early early morning, you just kind of just get it done. It wasn't that bad, but um yeah, it was great, man. I think you know just because the short amount of time we had, we didn't really want to mix business quote unquote business, I guess you'd say with, with friendship, but you know, next time we're together, I'm, you know, we're going to make sure we've already talked about this next time I do a live show, having a day or two around it to, to hang and maybe even extend it to a week where we could do more sort of interaction with the camera. But I think the end game is to sort of get uh, a road trip going and have content because I just think it's a no brainer, dude. It's such a no brainer between you and I, the people we know, the way we look at life our adventurous, sort of spontaneity. I uh, just it's I can just see it becoming a great thing, and that was a little glimpse of it without cameras, without you know worrying about the podcast, our energy together, and then in, indeed Purple, who would love to come along and be the camera person. She's easy too. Like that energy we had, the three of us just hanging out up here was just effortless. It was fun, great conversations, and and you mentioned you know uh, doing psychedelics around the fire and having those deep, really deep philosophical conversations. You know. Not a lot of what we did together was casual. There was no sort of wax idi- idiocracy. What do you what do we call it? Wax idiotic. It was soulful, deep shit. You know, verge of tears, laughter, like just good conversation and good experience. And having that to be captured on camera eventually, I think is what needs to happen with other people
2: around us. It's all I could think when we were hiking up in the mountains was just, man, if we had cameras here now, you know, because your knowledge of that area, you're clearly so passionate uh, and schooled on it. And you've taken the time to learn about it. And, you know, you were just taking me around and telling me all these, you know, details and facts and stories about the area. And all I could think was, man, this should be this is a travel show, just that the crew aren't here. <laughs> and the it's beautiful- a beautiful area, man. It really is. Yeah. It's the magic. It, you know, there's a lot of places in this world that were once magical and gentrification and the process of time has eroded a lot of that. You know, mystical quality, and your area. Everywhere I saw and everywhere we visited, even the people who work there and live there, and there's real magic in the air that's genuine and authentic and timeless, and and it's just there, isn't it? In abundance everywhere, still. Yeah, there's a
3: definitely a solid community here. As much as we'd still get, you know, tourism because it is Woodstock, you know, we get busloads of tourists that come up, and there is a bit of quote-unquote gentrification going on. The locals won't allow it to go any further, you know. If you come up here, you're not going to find your typical chain uh, restaurants, no fast food, none of that bullshit. It's all independently owned um, artistic community. And uh, Woodstock prides itself on that. And that's what I love about this area. And you can meet so many different characters, you know, not just hippies. We've got Rastafarians. We've got Buddhist monks. You, know, you can go down to the local grocery store and you're, you're elbow to elbow with, you know, rich landowners. Again, R- Rastafarians, Buddhist monks, uh, musicians ex-roadies for acdc they're here uh, members of the bad brains you know members of p funk parliament funkadelic it's just cool man it feels like home and a lot of people who lived that life of being a musician on the road decided to settle here so it's kind of like a, almost like a retirement
2: home for artists so it feels
3: like i'm in the right place for when that day comes
2: And we're back, and we're going to be back, I guess, 10 more times between now and the end of the show. So if you're watching this episode, it might be a little bit discombobulating because you'll see us in different costumes and different settings. Have you noticed (laughs) as well, Jesse, that for today's episode, I've spun the laptop around. I'm still in the same room where I usually record, but uh, there's no fridge behind me today. It's a painting and a – I don't even know what that is. A shelf. I I prefer that.
3: It looks very – speaking of home, it looks very homey. It looks like, you know – I want to
2: grab a drink and relax over there. It looks nice. I, I enjoy the uh, the flip of the camera. I back it. This is a better vibe, is it? The only reason I did change is because the lamp above the fridge ran out, or well, not ran out, whatever. Why can't yeah. I talk today? The bulb's gone, <laughs> so it was a bit dark and grainy. So I thought I'll flip it. And you are right; it does kind of look like I'm in the pantry right yeah, now. It's warmer. It's a warmer vibe. I like it, nice woody earthy tones yeah um this is the kind of gold you can get ladies and gentlemen <laughs> over on patreon.com forward slash stoke the fire and we, we we humbly ask you uh on this the first day of a brand new year um it's kind of essential for us and our ability to continue to make the show that you do support it if you can with even just a small monetary donation because since leaving gas we've had to pay um, our wonderful producers Joey and Annie we do so obviously happily but we do have to you know compensate them for their efforts and their work out of our own pocket and uh, we have to cover the costs of, of the website and podcast hosting and all of that it isn't free I wish it was um and so just a little donation of a couple of dollars a month makes all the difference to us and the more we can get on patreon the more support we can get on there the more time specifically i can put into the organizing and overseeing of the show and we can get better guests and you know as we've been talking about since day one but have still not been able to do the travel element tv video vibe which you know is a dream of mine to make that happen but again there's cost involved there and the zoom thing is obviously great because it's handy and it costs nothing but it can't be a zoom podcast forever can it jesse we've got to get out there in the world
3: Yeah, I think it's a slow burn. I think anyone who knows this podcast knows that it's, it's deep. It's not your typical thing. And I think that's what makes it unique. It makes it special. And I'm proud of that. You know, even if it does take a while for us to get to that point, we're able to do that. Um, I think what we've done thus far is something to be very proud of. And it's been, it's been a great journey so far. I I look forward to seeing what, what comes next, but in the meantime, we're in the trenches doing our thing and, and spreading the love and the positivity and you know feeding people's minds with with stories and i think that's what it's all about is the stories and the the human condition
2: well for me and i'm not aware of any other podcast in the world that does this there may be them out there but i've certainly not come across them and to to our own horns for a minute but the listener episodes they're so unique to this show they're really what gives stoke the fire for me that extra extra special intimate connection between us and the audience that other shows just don't have, where we invite anybody, whoever they are, whatever they do onto the show and give them the platform and the same length of time and and focus and dedication as we would, you know, a Rob Flynn or a Miles Kennedy or a Randy Bly or whoever else, anybody out there who enjoys the show and feels like they share a, a common worldview with Jesse and myself and the other people who listen um, you can reach out to us get in touch stoke the firepod at gmail.com and you can come on the show and be a guest and that was something we did with series one and the response to them was amazing we decided going forward we wanted to continue to do the listener episodes however uh, as with the one-on-one solo episodes we decided to break it up and, and put the listener episodes on patreon as well because I guess the one thing that I did take from the feedback that we got from guests, and they were right in saying this, is if we do want to grow the show, the public show, it is all about the types of guests that we have on and names do matter. But if we do want to, you know, furrow down and get deep as well, we need to continue the listener episodes because they're such a key part of what we do. And so I think by having them on Patreon and then focusing with the bigger guests on the public podcast, we can. Uh, pardon the phrase, have our cake and eat it too. Right. And enjoy the best of both worlds.
3: Yeah. And I think that's important. And, you know, uh, having listeners on the stories can be profound very much like this next clip. Um, Alex is somebody who's become a huge part of the community and a positive through and through a very positive voice. His story is great, but his presence on the Patreon, his presence on anything that we do with stoke the fire has been crucial and he's someone that has actually become a friend of mine. I have his phone, phone number in my, my cell phone. I've texted him, hung out with him outside of uh, you know Stoke the Fire. And he's become a crucial part of our community. And, and that I don't think really would have happened unless we had him on, unless we did meet him in person. And that's the beauty of what's happened to some of these listeners. They've become our
2: friends. Amen. Uh, so without further ado, here is a clip from Patreon episode two, which was a listener podcast that we did uh, with Alex P., Here it is. One thing you mentioned a moment ago is this kind of childlike innocence, uh, you know, an untainted view of the world. I think that's really interesting because it isn't, as you say, until opinions, ideas, perspectives start to form that we're then shaped into the human beings we, you know, start out becoming. And then we can change that course as we, you know, attempt to along the way. But we're a blank canvas to start, aren't we? And as you say, you're dealing with so many different themes in your life from the get go. How was your mom putting food on the table if she was on her own and she was getting high and and, and wasted how, well, how how were you surviving as a family
5: yeah it she walked a really delicate balance because my mom was like very much someone that was living in a glass house right so in her when she was young growing up they grew up in argentina because they immigrated from poland after the war ended they were trapped there my grandfather was in the polish army he was in uh in France. He had to send for them and sneak them out in forty six after the war ended in barrels, and so finally got them reconnected with them. They had to move all around Europe, and so they they had to go back and forth to try to find a new home because they were no longer welcome in Poland since it was communist down behind the Iron Curtain. so they eventually ended up in Argentina, and there, my mom had like this idyllic uh uh childhood from like when she was like 10 years old on or or eight years old on. So she became like very much like, everything's gonna be fine, life is great, this is gonna be wonderful. And she completely compartmentalized all the negative stuff into a different part of her brain. And then started abusing drugs, started drinking, but then also had this other side of her that would go to school and study and go to medicine. And she actually became a doctor. So we came to the United States. She did medical school again here, was one of the first women to graduate Columbia Medical School. So she had this wonderful story, like, look at what you can achieve if you try, kids. So you should really try hard and you really need to assert yourself and and you can do anything. But then, what would happen is she would do that in her daytime, and then she'd go upstairs after work, and then she'd come down and she'd have dark sunglasses on, and she was a totally different person. So it was almost like that's when she'd be wasted and she'd be angry and And she'd start, you know, really kind of getting into abuse a bit, you know, and kind of yelling at us. And all of a sudden, it was like, which one of these people are you, right? Are you that one? Or are you this one? or, and ultimately what i had to accept was she was both and she just didn't know how to bring them and blend them into one personality correctly and make it healthy and try to figure out ways to you know channel that anger and that that hurt and all the other things she had into a positive spin you know so that was really rough and it was hard for me to learn and it caused a lot of problems growing up as you can imagine, like it started becoming a kick the dog syndrome where it was just my, at this point, my grandparents, you know, my grandfather passed away. My grandmother got very sick and went into a home. So it was just my mom, my, uh, my mother, uh, my mom, my brother, and me in, in this home. Um, And so my mom would come down and abuse us. She'd abuse my brother a little bit more because he was older. My brother's two years older. My brother would then turn around and hit me and abuse me because "kick the dog" syndrome, which just works its way down. So, so you're,
2: you're talking physical, yeah,
5: and and emotional or both. Uh, emotional from my mom, physical from my brother. Oh, I mean, you know, this stuff is really difficult to talk about, but I'm happy to because it's important to talk about it. So just bear with me as I go. But um, I my, as much as you want to, as well, obviously, yeah. Um, My mom would do things like uh, get drunk, and then the first time I had to, she would would say things like, I don't know why I ever had you guys. I don't know why I'm alive. I should have killed myself. I should kill myself right now. I should die. I shouldn't be alive right now. And she'd get drunk, and then here I am. The first time I ever had to talk her out of suicide was when I was six years old, you know? So... as a kid, you don't even know what you're doing. You're just like, mom, don't do that. I love you. You know, you you don't really know anything else, but this is the kind of stuff she would do. She just put us through extreme mental torture. I never, I never should have had you guys, you guys, you know, you you shouldn't be here. All these different things. Your dad was an asshole, whatever. And she actually tried to tell me that he tried to kill us, which was a total lie. And I met him many years later and I confirmed that, you know, but this was in her mind, you know, what was going on because she was twisting it. And my brother would then turn around and, you know, he he became violent because he was like, we both, you know, then started growing up. We had the heavy metal. We had the Sabbath. We had our maiden, you know, then we he got more into punk rock. And so, you know, my mom was like, OK, well, I'm going to sign you up for karate, Alex, so you can like defend yourself. Cool. Then the next day she signed my brother up for karate, too, so that he could defend himself against other people. And really, what happened was now he was better at beating the shit out of me, <laughs> you know, um but ultimately it was good it was formative stuff for me because you learn how to take pain you learn how to take abuse in karate like i think it's there's a lot to be said for giving kids martial arts because you know it teaches you discipline it teaches you self defense and respect and all those other things so now there was a wedge that went into the middle of the thinking which was like you're supposed to respect each other my brother's like wait a minute if we're supposed to respect each other then Why am I doing this? And I could use that psychologically to kind of manipulate the situation a little bit as we got older. And it got really bad. My mom eventually, as you can imagine, you can't do the drinking and drugging at nighttime and not have it go into your day job when you get older. So when she was, when I was about 14, 15, she came in with her first run in with getting caught at work drunk. Right. And she then, had to go into they did a thing where she had to go into a program for six months, and she could save her license. Well, she did, but they kept her for a whole year uh, because they realized that she had massive brain uh, issues and brain damage from it all. So um, they kept her for over a year. They said, Alice, you know, she's clearly you know, messed up here. um and it's amazing that she could even do this in her day job. Well, Long story short, that started a whole wave of events in Spiral where she came back, but then she lost her uh, medical license and started going down, 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 down. So now we had this one standard of living and then all of a sudden it started crashing and crashing and crashing. So like that's when I realized, holy shit, like we're totally like walking on a disappearing floor right now and my future is not to be taken for granted i have absolutely nothing that's going to be given to me here because everything is being taken away by the state by lawsuits by her not being able to keep her shit together by banks all these different things so that's when you know i was i kind of went super metal super punk i mean like i was like 14 15 16 i was going into the village every weekend man i was going to alphabet city and and you know uh hanging out and going to see a ton of metal shows and punk rock shows old ritz you know um just all these great clubs uh bleaker uh, bleaker bob's records all these places that don't exist anymore you know um and that was like okay I've sort of found my community of outcasts here. These are all people that are like subculture, you know, walking around and, you know, having a great time and shit's fucked up in their life and shit's fucked up in my life, but we can get together and have a good time and who cares? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of how I got into the scene. And, you know, the Ramones originally were from my neighborhood too. in Forest Hills, so I used to see them around, you know, grow it up. And I'd be like, when I was like super young, I'm like, those boys are up to no good. <laughs> you know? <laughs> later on i was like they're fucking cool holy shit so um you know i became i all growing up i was friends with people that were friends with the ramones i never got to talk to them or meet them myself i definitely saw them live um but um one of my best friends i became you know in a band with ultimately he had a punk rock band at the time called smoke and bones so smoke and bones is a band that played in the city a whole bunch and it was like know this kind of old school punk hardcore kind of scenario where it'd be like a room they got a room and then all of a sudden just like 50 punks show up and then there's arranged chairs around the fucking edges of it and then fucking everybody fucking slam dances in the fucking center like bands set up right next to people knocking into the fucking drum set and everybody fucking flailing and shit and people just sitting there like you know around the side just kind of pushing them back in pushing a back, you know, Um, skating outside, causing a havoc. And I was just like, you know, this is fucking cool. Like, I like the anarchy and the insanity of it all. But I also like the fact that they're breaking down the barriers between this really stale, bland way to interact with the environment that came from, like, my upbringing of old school traditional stuff and, fuck, like, flipped it on its ass. Like, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be important. Why don't these people think that's important? Oh shit. Cause I guess really we're just a bunch of monkeys living on a planet in the middle of nowhere in time, trying to figure something out. But really we have like very little to grasp to ultimately because the size of this planet as compared to the universe, who knows, you know, who knows. I can can definitely
3: relate to some of what you're saying. I mean, not the abusive part, but, um, you know, growing up in a religious family, trying to find myself and then discovering this community. And I think that's, that's the word I would like to throw in there too, that I appreciate about punk and metal and hardcore is you kind of find your tribe. You find those people who make you feel less alone. And those, I latched onto that huge when I was a kid, because I grew up in a very strict religious household too, where I was expected to do this, that, and this. And I met people who you know, were in my mind, like crazy, like I met crazy people like, wow, this person's been through this, this, person. like probably people like you, you know, I grew up in abusive homes and this was their only way to sort of be themselves. Um, and also for your, for listeners, when you mentioned Alphabet City, going to Alphabet City during the time frame that you're speaking of was very dangerous. Uh, you could easily get killed. Um, so to me, it's very interesting that you put yourself in that situation because you love the music and the culture. And that just goes to show you how much of a passion you had for it to put yourself in harm's way to, to go to those shows and to see and to experience that incredible culture in that community. Um, and that saved my life as a kid. Honestly, I, I wasn't sure where I was going to go and what I was going to do until I found my tribe. As you're speaking, and I love it. The time frame you're speaking to is like the glory days of New York music. It's beautiful
2: thanks again to to Alex not just for a brilliant conversation that we had for the patreon podcast that we did but also as you mentioned before going into that clip Jesse for being such a a source and a force of positivity around this community that we're building he's been with us since day one and as you say whenever he chimes up on the YouTube comments or on social media or the patreon page it's always a welcome input isn't it and he's always just got really insightful things to to say and share about each episode and it's always, just a joy to to hear and know that he's not just there listening, but he's actively engaging, and you know he's right there in the thick of it with us. So, cheers to you, Alex, wherever yeah. you are. Big love. <laughs> just looking round for him. <laughs> is he in my kitchen? No, he's not. Um, so, the the third clip from episode three is ghost story orientated. Now, this is an area um, I have so little experience in. I've always been open. To energies of the other worlds but I've never really encountered them myself. So, Jesse kind of took the reins with this episode. And what we do suggest and ask you to do as well is if there's topics of conversation that you would like us to explore and delve into on the Patreon one on one chats that we do, just hit us up, let us know, and we'll try and tick our way through as many of the list as possible. Ghost stories is something that's come up a few times um, in the short time that we've been doing Patreon. So, we, we stuck a ghost themed podcast fairly early on in the podcast release schedule uh and yeah it was just really interesting and fun for me to hear some of these stories from your life that you know obviously when you do interviews about music this stuff's never going to come up is it so it must have been i hope fun for you to to talk about on a kind of a, you know a public platform as well and share yeah I, yeah I just think it's
3: interesting and i know there's a lot of people out there that can relate to that you know it's it's For some people, they don't want to talk about it because they don't want to seem crazy, but uh, you know, there's a spirit world, regardless of of people of of faith or not, or whatever the case may be. You know, and I feel privileged sometimes for what I've experienced, but also, you know, it can be exhausting. Um, Thankfully, as I've gotten older, it's really calmed down. I still have sort of a sense of the spirit world, but when I was younger, living in a house that was haunted and being around a lot of spiritual energy, it was pretty much part of my regular life my everyday. so yeah i just shared a little bit of snippets of it but there's so much more we could do a couple more episodes like this and i actually look forward to potentially having some listeners on to tell their stories as well you know if we have father maximus we've had on before there's a lot of interesting stuff when it comes to the supernatural world and uh yeah just a little glimpse of of some of the stuff that i went through with this clip I've actually even remember this very clearly because I was dead sober that night. Um, We saw a bottle of um, whiskey. Fly off the shelf that way, not you know, not it fell off the shelf, like tossed hit the side of the bus and smashed and everybody saw it. And, you know, most people are just like, "Ah, no big deal. It's like, dude, no, That's, that's that was deliberate. You could see it fly from the counter and smash in like a million pieces out of nowhere. So yeah, tour buses can be haunted, man. That's just the stuff off the top of my head as far as tour buses go. But yeah, I've had many encounters all over the world while touring. But the majority of the really creepy ones uh, happened when I was younger, living in a particular house in Rhode Island where I grew up. It was my grandparents' house. My parents took it over and then I took it over. Um, And while I was living there alone, some really strange stuff happened to the point where I actually had roommates leave break break you know there' no lease no just just gone and one guy I have, I have yet to even hear from him ever again and we were pretty close he just disappeared from shit that happened to him in this house
2: well what happened to him that he just bailed
3: never found out he just left a note and said i can no longer live here um and he was hinting that it was a dark place so the basement part of is this the, house- the art
2: house you were living in with all the yeah. like sage and everybody right. Right. Sage,
3: yeah. Sage Francis lived there as well. Uh, a bunch of creatives, you know, but um, prior to that, you know,
2: did Marcella well, I, live there as well? No,
3: she didn't. No. I, don't, I don't even know if she's came to any of the parties, but no, she didn't live there, but um, she knows about it. A lot of people knew about our, our haunted house in high school, you know? Um, yeah. It's crazy. And it, it had energy from when I was a little kid because my grandmother, so my great uncle died in that house in the front room. And then my grandmother died in that front room of that house as well. And there was one of thing. Kind of
2: unnatural causes or and natural? Cancer.
3: cancer. Yeah. cancer's taken a lot of my family out. But they died inside the house. So there's always some type of energy that exists when somebody passes away. And the interesting thing about the spirit world for anybody who's versed in it, um, you have dark spirits, you have light spirits. And sometimes the dark spirits pretend to be light spirits. There's manipulation that happens. Um, And I will tell a story about manipulation. Uh, And this does involve um, my sister as well. And I hope she doesn't mind me telling this story.
2: So Your uh, your sister sent me a lovely message, by the way, the other day, saying that she had a good time with you guys and... You were talking about me and she hopes to meet me someday. Yeah, she oh, seems goodness. like I didn't I didn't make the connection because I'd seen that profile comment on the Stoke the Fire stuff before, but yeah. I didn't know that was your sister. Yeah,
3: yeah she's a wonderful uh, young lady. I'm super proud of her. And I had a little bit of a hand in raising her because uh, when I was 15, she was born. So um, I would uh, watch her. I would change her diapers. And yeah, she was my little buddy. For the first uh, couple of years of her life. Uh, that's just, wild,
2: man. 15 years. I thought my sister's seven years younger than me. I thought that was a big age gap, but yeah, that's double. She
3: was, she was the surprise. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was awesome. I I really loved her when she was a little baby. I had a lot of fun with her. Um, so they, so my parents, I was living with my parents for, so it's on my own that I came back home and lived with my parents for a little while. Knowing that they were preparing to leave, my father was uh, going to go to a university, a Bible university, because he's continued his education up until I mean, the guy has two master's degrees and a Ph.D. He's just he's just uh, ever since I can remember, always studying, always reading, very thirsty for knowledge and wisdom and, you know, believing that he's following the voice of God, which I respect very much. But um, again the life that we lived and the things we were surrounded by because of that spiritual things happen good and bad. Um, Do you glory. think that
2: was a part of it Was not just the house, but your dad's
3: work? I think so because when you deal with certain types of energies, um, praying over people or when we were younger, you know, casting out demons and my, my family was part of a, a very, what they call the Pentecostal church, which is a very extreme form of, uh, christianity um and thankfully we're, we're not like that anymore all of us but uh yeah so they believe in casting out demons there's a lot of weird energy that is around that when you're dealing with somebody's spirit so you know we weren't actively engaged in that um denomination then but i do believe throughout the years when you're dealing with people and important to note as well we would take in people all the time ex-convicts uh recovering addicts um people who didn't have a place to stay so my house was an open door for the less fortunate um throughout my entire life and that house in particular housed uh, some pretty interesting characters so that being said there's always been energy around us as a family always um so
2: just as a very quick question were those people always respectful of the space and well behaved within the home or were there times when they weren't
3: as far as I can remember, nobody was really stepping out of line, but you know, for example, if you have somebody who's taken people's lives, an ex convict that has killed people, there's energy that's attached to that person, whether or not they're behaving themselves while they live with you, there might be some darkness surrounding somebody like that. And uh, we did have one guy in particular who was that type of a person. Um, That's another story that's not paranormal at all. But uh, I have very interesting memories of that guy. Some of them pretty fond, actually. I got along with him pretty well. But anyway, um, so my sister would have been around four, four and a half, maybe five, actually close to five, I would say at this point. Uh, And and I was helping my father prepare the house. You know, he wanted to make sure he left the house looking a certain way for me because I was going to take over the mortgage and like live there you know, take on the, the family legacy, which was just extremely difficult at my age. I think it was 20, 22 at the time, taking on this huge responsibility I was not ready for, but um, helping my dad out around the house. I'm outside um, with a steel brush, scraping paint off of the foundation to prepare to repaint it, to make it look nice. My little is in the backyard playing with her friend. Um, who was over for like a play date, you know, saying goodbye pretty much because they were getting ready to move. Her little friend's uh, ride pulls up. The parents come, they talk and, you know, bye. It's great to see you. And nice play date. And my sister's running and giggling around and car pulls away. And, you know, I got my back to the driveway and I'm working on the house, working on the house. And I had this weird feeling I was being watched. It's like, this is I feel creepy. So I turn around, I look and my little sister's standing there staring at me. Just plain as day. No, no happiness, no fear, just regular just standing there. It was kind of creepy. I was like, hey, and she says hi. And then she starts to kind of like sway like little girls do. And she goes, Sally comes down from the attic and plays with me at night. And when she gets mad, she hisses at me. And then she kind of laughed and ran into the yard to go play. And I was like, like tears welling up in my eyes. Like, what did she just say to me?
2: That's like something out of a horror film, isn't it?
3: Yeah, like, whoa. And then I put two and two together. My grandmother's nickname was Sally. And then I'm like, okay, I need to go talk to my dad. So I get up, I walk across the yard. We had up like a half acre yard, a pretty big yard. He was in the other corner working on something. I was like, hey, <laughs> by the way, this is what Sarah just said to me. What do you what do you make of this? And he without skipping a beat, was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know about Sally, We know, and I was like, what? He goes, yeah, so I, um, a couple of weeks ago, woke up in the middle of the night around 3 a.m. was when this would happen, um, and your sister's lights on, and I opened the door, and there's a board game out on her bed, she's wide awake, she's sitting up, and she's playing a game with something. I couldn't see anything. He's like, and then I talked to her and she told me that Sally came down from the attic. So it was sort of like a thing that would happen. This old woman would come down the attic and play with my sister. And then the part that struck the most with me was, oh, when she gets mad, she hisses at me. That's the part that really kind of fucked me up. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, so this old demonic thing that's pretending to be my grandmother is is messing with my little sister
2: so you believe it wasn't your grandmother
3: no no my grandmother was a very sweet kind woman um and i don't believe that there would have been yeah i just that's too much my grandmother wouldn't have done that kind of stuff um and I'll i'll further tell you why i don't believe it was my grandmother because after they moved out we continued to have issues with the attic um foul smelling odors and I remember I started to become afraid of this
2: because the attic... Was it a proper creepy attic? Yes. Was it? Yeah.
3: So I remember shortly thereafter, them moving out, me going up there to sort of like organize and bring some of my stuff up to the attic to rearrange the house because I was living there alone for a while. And that door would creak open. And you had it was an old school door. You had to turn it and pull it. It wasn't one of these shitty the latch kind of failed. It would fly. No, you had to turn that thing and pull it and it would get stuck. That door would, I would come home living there completely alone. I would come home and that door would be open. And I I would just constantly close it to the point where I started latching it closed. But I went up there and I kept smelling these weird smells and hearing creaking coming from up there. So I went up to that attic and around the, so it's a, Triangle style roof, like attics can be, and then there's two little windows, maybe about you know a foot in uh, length and about a foot in width, just little teeny attic windows around that entire window. And down on the floor was probably about 50 dead black flies, just dead black flies all over the place, like the plague had hit. And uh, this is. Yeah, this is, I was 22, 23 years old and I knew about darkness. I knew about, so black flies, if you see them in mass like that, that uh, signifies demonic activity. All dead. All dead, just a pile of dead black flies. So uh, yeah, that's kind of when things started to get really weird at that house. Uh, Again, living there alone, I started to see things, hear things, wake up out of a sound sleep. Um, I even had a party with 120 people there for New Year's Eve and a whole room full of people heard disembodied voices in that house. I have many witnesses. (laughs) So that house, uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. But that's just a little glimpse into some of my uh, my childhood and my
2: younger years um, growing up in that house. There it is a little bit of ghost story action from Jesse Leach there. And when I think back to the first guest podcast that we did, you mentioned him before going into the clip, Father Maximus he was a listener first of all so we established that theme early on we also established you know spirituality and uh, and the spirit world and there's so many threads that have remained consistent throughout this show's history that were always kind of present from from day one with father maximus and that episode that we did with him what an amazing guest he was if you're somebody who's been with the show for a long time i'm sure you'll have heard that episode but if you have not, uh, please do go back and check out that public episode with with Father Maximus as well. We got lucky super early on with that one, didn't we? It remains one of my favorites still to this day, I think.
3: Yeah, and another listener, another Patreon guy who's become a friend. I love that guy. And he showed up to our live show as well. That's great, man. And uh speaking of friends, uh, this next guest is a friend of mine, um, someone that I see in my neighborhood. I've gone swimming. I know her kids, I know her, her very talented husband. Um, And she's a very gifted woman. And, you know, we're talking about the spirit world. She deals predominantly with the dream world, the things that happen in our subconscious mind um, that we are either not aware of uh, because it's hard. You know, you wake up from a dream. Sometimes you don't remember or you are aware of and you wake up and you're like, what the hell was that dream about? She's made it. Well, she hasn't even made it. It just kind of happened to her. Her life's work to deal with what is called shadow work dealing with the dream world, what goes on in your brain when you're sleeping and how there are doors and portals that actually do open. This particular episode, it had me thinking for days after, and it actually even inspired me to write a song. Uh, Really powerful chat, really powerful and kind-hearted woman, but fascinating stuff. And this is just a small little sliver of what she had to offer uh, in that episode. It's great.
2: Yeah, this episode, I think, was one of the most excited I've ever seen you. I could just see, you know, usually you're very composed and stoic and you'll allow the guests to sort of share their thoughts and then you'll come back with something really thoughtful. But this is the one time where you, I could see you just getting I was notably physically excited yeah. like you didn't know where to go. You were just like, oh, my God, I want to hear everything. I want to know it all. It was really fun to see. Yeah, you know, I'm one of those people that has crazy
3: vivid dreams, Um and it's, you know, a conversation I still need to have with her. I would even love to have her come back on and maybe even with a couple of listeners and do a whole thing. But, uh, yeah, I just fascinated by what she, what she does and her insight into something that we all think about, you know, that's sleeping and death. And how are they similar and what goes on in your brain when you're dreaming? You know, like that's just always fascinating to me. So, yeah, check
2: this clip out. This is pretty, uh, pretty intense stuff. This is from Patreon podcast number four uh, with Jennifer Clariscora. Enjoy. Do you talk to actors at all about this kind of thing? It fascinates me. People who play other people for a living and spend extended periods of time in another personality. um, I think people in that profession could gain so much from work like this. And similarly, you know, what they do could be so damaging and dangerous to their their mental health without them even perhaps acknowledging it or realizing it, especially when you're playing, you know, villains. And, you know, you look at like a person like Heath Ledger and going into that Joker character and what happened to him. Like this is really precarious, risky, potentially life-threatening stuff, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah. No. You have to be, um, first of all, you, I think it's good to kind of find your core or at least a hint of that. Um, something inside of you that you feel is true and then you hang on to that and whenever you're doing any kind of work light shadow whatever it is just always having that presence so that you know that you are not everything else you're mainly this truth you know I don't know if people want to call it god or universe or higher self I think that's that's a, a common term higher self um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky and I do suggest guidance, but it doesn't have to be like some people have a great shadow work process where they do it, um, steadily enough where it doesn't like overwhelm them. So I'd say, yeah, take it, take it slow and, and time to integrate. It doesn't take like, Oh, I'm going to integrate this in you know 10 minutes, although that can happen, but um first I say develop a relationship with it observe it be aware of it don't don't try to be like oh you you know you are me you're part of me um because I feel like the shadow can rebel as well because it's a part of you and there has to first be a a conversation or awareness and a relationship
3: it's so deep it's it's you know I would say like on the surface for people who don't know and i'm pleading ignorance too i'm I'm fairly new to this but like it sounds crazy right (laughs) but when you you really think about it it's completely logical that we would have this because our brains are such incredible things that we don't have a full grasp and understanding of like where does creativity come from like where does it come from where out of nowhere i'm like struck by something and i write something and it's like this incredible thing that Stays with people and like a work of art, you know, a painting like where does that come from and diving just into that a little bit realizing that again trauma childhood the way a child processes something versus the way the adult uh, processes something, of course, there's stuff that's lost along the way. Of course, your memory is going to fail you for not even just traumatic reasons, but there's a lot of things that may have happened to you that you took in that became part of you and you didn't even realize it. So the deeper you go, the, I mean, it's endless, really. You could do this type of work probably yeah. for the rest of your life. Uh, and and then you can get into like, what, what are dreams? What are dreams? There's such a fascinating thing. There's a great line by Nas, um, I don't sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. And I've always loved that poetic line of like, you're not dying, but there's something similar to what's released in your brain, a DMT, that allows your brain to sort of unlatch from quote unquote reality and seek these things and go on these adventures and have these messages being read to you. It just seems to me that this is such a deep practice and people who may not know anything about it, maybe hearing it for the first time might think this is crazy. What is this? But it's really not. It's really based in science, really. I mean, it's 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 abstract science, but what do we know about this? There's so much we don't know. And that's it. Um, my mind is being blown right now. I'm I'm completely. Be- you guys are going to see on that. Like, other, other, I'm going to bring this up on other episodes. Be like shadow work, guys. <laughs> Remember,
2: could you ask that question, Jenny, that Jesse did kind of, you know, indirectly ask what are dreams in your opinion and perspective?
0: Yes, there have been scientific um, tests where people in a lucid dream have been able to contact, you know, through eye movements, um, now there's like these devices where uh, you move your eyes to, um, to converse from the lucid dream. Um, and it, it's stuff like that. I am not the most scientific dreamer. <laughs> I believe in soul journeys. So for me, dreams are a, a world. It's a dream world, a very ancient one. And that's existed since the beginning of time and humanity um it's it's uh we fell out of this practice you know our ancestors uh considered dreaming a vital part of the community and my purpose in life is to bring back what was lost which is access to this dream world and as a community as well um i there are still a lot of tribes in peru and south america that consider dreaming uh, important to the tribe and they um, view it as a way to predict future events as well. Um, and it's actually funny because I, I recently read a, I forgot, forgetting the book name, but I was just, I stumbled upon this woman that traveled through the tribes to, to interview about dreams or get to know the dream work of these tribes. And she said that there was one tribe that considered um, people who don't dream stupid, which I thought was funny because that's how important it is to them that they're like, oh, they don't dream, oh, they're dumb, you know? So I was cracking up. I was like, this is like such a nerdy part of me that was like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, we're, we're smart. But then I'm like, no, that's ego. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's that important that um, it's considered part of the, the IQ, I guess. <laughs>
2: All right, so we're one third of the way through the clips, which make up the best of Patreon so far. Our first episode here in 2023. Happy New Year to everybody. Thank you for tuning in as always. Uh, And the purpose of this podcast, as we stated at the start, is to kind of showcase the best of our Patreon work so far to show you what you're missing if you're not over there. And in terms of the public podcast, we've done 60 episodes to date, and there's currently 13 over on Patreon full-length podcasts not to mention countless other behind the music episodes and and videos and tons of amazing stuff. So there's probably about 30% of what's publicly available over on the Patreon page. And as time goes on, I imagine we'll probably supersede and overtake What's available out there in the internet on Spotify and YouTube and everything with just the Patreon page alone? So, if you love the show, if you want to support the show, if you want to get more and delve deeper into the world and get to know fellow Stoke the Fire listeners in a more deeper and more personal way, then Patreon really is the place to do all of that and so much more. So, please, 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 if you can, uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash Stoke the Fire, have a look at the different tiers that are on option there's different tiers that offer different kinds of rewards in return for monthly donations which range from a couple of dollars a month up to about 20 or 25 Uh, we do zoom hangs with the listeners every month there's all kinds of amazing stuff exclusively available on that page so please do check it out Uh, you can also download the patreon app this is important to share as well because i think a lot of people use patreon but you know find perhaps the website a little bit you know unfamiliar and difficult to navigate but if you download the patreon app then you can consume all of the audio and visual delights in the same way as you would on the youtube app or spotify it's really easy to use uh and it's yeah it's all there patreon.com forward slash stoke the fire time now for a clip from episode five which was another one-on-one check-in episode that we did and i think the reason if i can look back with the benefits of hindsight jesse the reason why we did this one at this particular moment is after we spoke to jennifer your friend that really conjured up in me a lot of my memories of of marcella who was a previous guest that we'd had on because of the similarities in their work and obviously um i won't go too much into it here because we talk about it a bit in the clip but there was you know some kind of residue left from the connection and relationship and time that i spent getting to know marcella which sent me into a bit of a A strange place and you know through i think the last few months of series one i kind of got a little bit dark and a little bit depressed and was drinking too much and you know pulled it back at the end but then we took an extended break between series one and series two so the purpose of this episode and this check-in was really just to update people on where i was at and what i'd been through and how i'd come out the other side and then as it always does it kind of inspired a much larger conversation about heartache and healing and and again these are the things that i love doing when it's just me and you um you know guests are great and they always lead to really stimulating and varied conversations but i do feel like the skeleton and the core and the heart of this show is you and i and just the the fact that we can sit down when we're going through whatever we're going through individually or together and kind of just hash it out And the feedback to these are always really cool as well. Everybody's like, I needed to hear this now. Like for whatever reason, I think you and I both quite in sync a lot of the time. And it seems like we are with our audience as well. Unconsciously there's this kind of connectivity that I think just makes us all feel a little bit bound to each other in a, in a special and spiritual way. Mm, Well, I think that's
3: a, a really a symptom of a much greater picture of humanity as a whole. You know, I think The great thing about what you and I have is there's there's honesty there. There's um, using vulnerability as a strength, which is what we've said from the beginning of this, you know, showing people that just because you wear your quote unquote heart on your sleeve and you're honest about things, you know, society, some aspects of society deem that to be as weak and you sort of have to save face and have a stiff upper lip and all that nonsense where we've championed, you know, vulnerability as a strength. And I think that's what's great about you and I from the jump when we first met. Um, the the guard isn't up there. We have a familiarity that uh, rings true in our conversations and that extends out to our entire community. So, yeah, I love these episodes, too. And I know I will always walk away from these conversations sort of feeling better about life and having perspective gained for sure. And I think it's just because of the nature of our relationship.
2: Hell, yeah, me, too. I always feel so much more. I don't know inspired but also focused and driven and i feel like i have purpose when we come off a call Um, so enjoy uh, a little clip from patreon podcast number five a little jesse and matt check-in chat and then we'll see you after this to talk about the next one talking to your friend jenny the other day because she does similar work because she's your friend because it's a podcast interview all of those things got me thinking about marcella for obvious reasons right uh, in part of me was like please don't help me please don't let me fall in love with this one thank god she's married it wasn't ever yeah. going to be a thing i almost said that to you as a joke <laughs> <laughs> but it brought up so much stuff and it made me realize like there's still some unresolved issues there and i need to like focus on those because that's the one thing that i haven't really done and it's you know so multi-layered and it's to do with all the failed relationships throughout my life like it brought up all of those things and the the cruel irony of it all i guess is that before i met marcella You'll remember this. This was kind of early on in the Stoke the Fire journey. I was straight up the happiest and best I'd ever been. I was so whole. I was so complete. And I was like, I don't need anyone in my life. I felt so lonely and lost for so long. And I got to this point where I was like, I'm enough. I'm great. I don't actually need anybody else. Then I met someone like immediately. It's like the universe's cruel joke. And I was like, oh my God, I'm now I'm finally whole. I'm ready to meet someone. I have. She's amazing. Let's do this. And then for it to not work out so heroically, you know, so fast as well, because we'd spent six months nurturing this thing. And then within like 24 hours of her being in England with me, we both realized like, fuck, this ain't going to work. It was just like, here's what you could have had gone. Um, It just sent me back to like even further back than square one. And what I wanted to share with people is so we're on the Keith Buckley tour. He's sharing his demons every night. They're clearly rooted in alcoholism. And, you know, he put that out there every night and it's in the video that's on his YouTube page. So I'm not talking out of turn by saying that. Uh, and then at the end of that tour, we'd done six nights in a row. And it was honestly, man, it was like, imagine six nights of the live show that we did in New York. Imagine in a row. Like it was it was so transformative and life affirming and therapeutic and cathartic and healing and powerful and amazing every night on stage. And he was really purging his demons and the crowd were getting really, you know, kind of intense. Revelations and and inspirational, kind of like guiding lights, and you know all kinds of positive stuff from the night, and it was overwhelming and brilliant. Six in a row, hugely successful, great. We got to the end of it, and it was Aid, my good friend Aid, who you met, and I'm sure we'll get him on one of these Patreon podcasts at some point. It was his, it was his birthday at the end of tour, and he'd been driving us, and he'd been with me every night, and it was really cool because it was Keith and Angie, his partner, me and Aid, little foursome unit in the car on a road trip, and it was just a beautiful journey. We get to the end. Last show's in Dublin. Keith and Angie fly home. Ade and I drive on to Galway for Ade's birthday. I hadn't drunk in four months. And I was like, you know what? It's my boy's birthday. I've just done this really successful tour. I've realized through the process of having these conversations with Keith every night that booze isn't my problem. I've had four months off it. I now feel much better about myself. Let's have a fucking drink. And we had a bunch of drinks in Galway and we had the best time ever. And then from then as I often do, it's either all or nothing with me, I was like, right, the fucking door's back open, let's go. So I did four months sober, and then I basically did four months drunk. What I want want to say is this, is I loved every single second of the entire eight-month period. There wasn't a single day... In that four-month binge, essentially, because I was doing such fun, amazing stuff. I was going on tours with Bowling for Soup. I was going on cruises in the Caribbean with Flogging Molly. I was in Woodstock with you. I brought out my book. It was my birthday. just doing all this amazing stuff, and you know, it was it was heightened and elevated by alcohol, and I loved it. I absolutely loved every second of it. And now I got to a point where, as we talk, I've had a week off, and I'm going to have a few more weeks off because it got to that point where I was like, okay. This is getting out of hand now. I need to brakes hit the brakes a for a bit. Have a, have a you know a little bit of time off, which I'm now doing, and I'm loving that too. And I just I wanted to just share that with everybody to to let people know a that I'm okay. And you know, if you did care, thank you. I'm all right. Don't worry about me. And also, b like it's good to just take time off and have breaks. But just because you know you know that alcohol can be a problem, it can also be. <laughs> A positive force in your life as well if used correctly and i just wanted to have that open dialogue in a non-judgmental space um i think think
3: balance is key really that's really what it is and knowing yourself you know and i think that you are very self-aware and i love that about you um, because i think people like yourself uh, are the type of people I like to be surrounded by because it's not you know you're even if you do sort of quote-unquote go off the rails a little bit here and there you're aware of it and you and you're sort of like okay now it's time to chill and i think that's a great quality to have and again you know when you're talking about booze or or whatever it's a case-by-case basis some people need to not drink um and some people can handle it and um, maybe
2: people out there who think that i need to not drink because of certain nights or encounters that we've had but that's their problem not mine (laughs)
3: Everybody is on their own journey, you know, and I think that um, if you see that something isn't detrimental to your existence and your health and your progress uh, as a human, I think it's okay to allow yourself to enjoy yourself with stuff like, you know, smoking weed or, or drinking some booze or occasional psychedelics. Um, I'm not here to judge anyone who does anything more than that. People can handle certain types of things that I can't. And that's why I know that some of the harder stuff I cannot do anymore. But again, I think it's self-awareness is key. Balance is key. And also, I would say for me personally, moderation is key, because if I am in party mode, like you said, you're pretty much going every day for like a long amount of time. If I go past like three or four days. My body and just being as old as I am, my body's like, stop, just stop, please we're so tired i think i did about
2: 30 days in a row at one point like because i think it was from the cruise to our live show to woodstock with you back home book tour bowling for soup tour it was like an almost entire month where it was every day but like i said it was all awesome you know i'm doing celebratory stuff surrounded by people i love and i'm just like hey of course i'm gonna have a drink this is amazing yeah
3: no and, and your visit here was great i had so much fun it was great um but yeah you're right i think it's the state of mind um, even if you are going a little hard, but knowing when to sort of like switch that off and, and sort of get healthy again, and not even just, you know, physically, but for, for your mind, you know, cause you have to kind of catch up to yourself. And I think that dials back, um, to our conversation the other day about nature is needing to get back into nature again. I think nature is the great healer. And mm-hmm. when you're in one of those sort of like party party all the time, If you just start to get out in nature and and exercise and move and get good sleep, you sort of like don't desire the the stuff that like the boozing and all that. You don't desire it as much because you're getting fulfilled in other levels. So for people who don't drink, they know they have things that they are able to do that makes them not even think about the booze, you know, and exercise, being creative, all that stuff. But if you're able to do both and live in both worlds, that's great, too. And I do do that because I love a good glass of wine with dinner i love a good cocktail i love it it's great or you know lately i've been doing uh swimming by the river and getting on the tube and having a nice cold cider to like sip on while we're cruising down the river like i love that shit do i do it every single day no but you know I, everybody's different but um again i love that you're doing this and i think we should do more of this type of stuff uh, and here now we have this opportunity with the Patreon where we can talk about things that are heavy. And I think that's, again, one of the aspects of what we're doing here that is important. And even though we're not putting it out on the the public platform, the people who are here, the hardcore fans, you're here for a reason. This is what it's all about. And we're going to do a lot more of this type of stuff too. Um, and
2: I, I love it, Matt. This is great. I'm glad we do- we're doing this. And we are at the halfway point in the montage the best of Patreon so far Uh, a lovely way to kickstart the new year kind of you know reflecting on previous conversations from months gone by and also kind of showing you behind the curtain if you're not already on patreon these are the types of discussions that we have over there the kind of discussions that we had a lot in series one but as we've moved forward and we're trying to refocus the show we're going for the big guests more so with series two and then the kind of intimate vulnerable in depth very personal stuff that takes place in Patreon, uh, and it's just a beautiful community, and we would love for it to grow and flourish further. So please, once again, uh, if you haven't already, check out the website, patreon.com forward slash stoke the fire. Head over there and think about supporting this podcast with a little monthly donation, um, which will allow us to not only continue making the show, but hopefully grow and evolve it and you know try out some new things, which we, we are we yet to do, but we want to do and we hope to do in the not too distant future so into another listener episode now benji collier from uh, portsmouth originally now relocated in wales brand new newborn kid new partner after um wow i mean the the level of drug addiction that this guy detailed in the episode and then the level of kind of candid complete honesty with which he discussed his failed suicide attempts we've had a few episodes like these and what i've noticed and what i find really i don't know whether reassuring i don't know what the right word would be but what i love about these episodes is that strangers people who are totally unbeknownst to us feel comfortable enough and empowered enough and vulnerable enough to come onto our show and just spill their guts and share everything about their struggles and their pain with such unrelenting forwardness um there's no other shows that i know out there that do that without tooting our own horn too much and and this listener episode was a really strong example of that he kind of just came on and was like this is all my trauma i've been through it and here's where i'm at now with a new family and it's quite mind-blowing and inspiring wasn't it
3: yeah and what i really like about this episode is the there's just a spirit about him that he is positive, that he sort of looks back at it now and takes it in stride. I'm sure it was much of a struggle, but his demeanor on camera, um, you know, if you're watching the episode, um, you can see he's at such a better place. And as he looks back, it's not destroying him to talk about it. Uh, And to me, that's the takeaway from as as heavy as this got. He had a light spirit about him. And I really like that about him. And it, you know, it gives you a sense of hope that you can go to the crazy place and find yourself on the other side of it in a much better place that you'd never even imagined for yourself. And I love stories like that, that sort of have a happy ending, you know, as as intense as it was, you know, where he is now is is beautiful and you can see
2: the peace in him. And what's hilarious, I don't know if you remember this, but about a month or so after we recorded the episode with him, we were doing a Zoom hang with all the listeners. And his partner came on and I was like, Oh, lovely to meet you. And she, she's well, she's like, oh, we've actually met Matt. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what? And she's like, Oh yeah, we partied together at download a few years ago. Gosh, and, was, yes. and it's like, what a small world that is that I wound up in a campsite with her and her friend, Kim, like 10 years ago, if not more. Uh, and the fact that, you know, a decade later, her partners on our show as a guest It's that for me, the kind of interconnectivity that we, we sort of alluded to earlier, but there's levels of of just absolute connection like that that sometimes just blow my mind, and you're like, how how is the world that small? <laughs> because it is really, if you <laughs> think
3: about it, especially now that we're so connected through you know stuff like this, to be able to see somebody's face and have a conversation with them and to connect with someone across the world, you know, and we do it all the time. It's a
2: beautiful thing. and it's getting smaller each day. the, the community is getting bigger, the world's getting smaller. We love it. Enjoy this clip from Patreon Podcast number seven. Uh, With Benji Collier, one of our listeners and now one of our good friends. When you are going through all that stuff that you obviously had to go through at a very young age, it makes you feel alone in this world. You know, as a child of divorce I felt that too, even though I had a sister and same thing, I love her and and we are close and there's great, you know, affection there, but I always felt totally alone because I just saw my family unit fall apart and I was like, man, I'm fucking totally on my own in this world and you know, that in my life has led me to You know, extreme periods of alcoholism and depression as well so when do you start to really wrestle with with those darker feelings and when do they start to take hold
1: i think i've gone through a couple of i've gone through a couple of cycles sort of every sort of five or six years sort of after that so i mean growing up i mean i i I left left home when i was 19 sort of rebelliously you know i'll make it in my make it in this world on my own sort of thing went out um and I got probably got to about 20 27 28 um and it was just the just the monotonous sort of grind of waking up go to work come back um and it just just after sort of year after year just sort of ground down worn down bit by bit um just sort of just sort of being bored bored of life bored of Bored of board of work, board of bored of my friends. Um, bit by bit, uh, I think as growing up, um, the sort of friend after friend would sort of get into a relationship, have a child. You start seeing less of them, so there's less sort of less people within my sort of social circle. Um,
2: Can totally relate to that, man. The late twenties as you approach thirty, yeah, you know, it's different. It was tough. When you're in creative industries, it is different. And I've I've been really lucky that I've always had, you know, people like Jesse, people who I've met through music, that, you know, even if they do have partners and whatever, they're still connected to that, you know, more free spirited way of life. But if you just grow up in, say, the suburbs or even in an inner city, I think, in the UK at least, that's all I can speak to, there's a tendency to just, you know, lay roots, settle down, of course. This is what society teaches us to do. So as you see all your friends one by one making that choice you do start to feel like more and more alone, like, fuck, is this all there is?
1: Yeah. And I think it was, I was in a relationship at the time um, that, was, that was toxic. Um, she lived in London, I lived in the South, we'd kind of just hook up at the weekend. Um, and So during the week, we sort of kind of feeling a little bit more alone. You know, as the more, more sort of friends had kids, and you know they were coming out on a, you know, going out on a Wednesday night for a piss up less and less. Um, and a friend of mine, um, he broke up with his girlfriend, a close friend of mine. Um, so we kind of banded together a little bit, um, and that was kind of where the drinking started. Um, we'd finish work, and during the week we would just go to the pub, have. You know every night for month on end um and it was just that spiral it was like that dark sort of spiral that you'd get to a friday and the week's drinking hadn't done it um and the, i was getting more annoyed with the toxic relationship more annoyed with with work and what is you know is this it um so I actually started you know that was the first time i tried hard drugs was um ndma um which <laughs> which for the first week was brilliant. it was fantastic. Um, after when you start after sort of a period of two to three months, um, it was hard to function, really hard to function.
2: What are you doing it every day?
1: Yeah, yeah, to sort of self-medicate not a, I'd say not a lot. <laughs> uh, at a weekend, probably quite a lot. Um, but just sort of self-medicating it, um, you know, during the day. So I would wake up, um, take some before work. So I got through work, come back, would go to the pub, finish the pub, uh, end up being, you know, by the end of the day feeling quite depressed. So take more before bed, um, and that led to that led, led to ketamine, um, but you know, cocaine. Um, mushrooms, which is quite financially, actually, but, but in terms of in terms of the hard drugs, yeah, that's that's the sort of the, the spiral that led to it.
3: Well, it gets to the point where you're medicating and it's not working anymore. You know, it's one thing when you you know you said at first it was brilliant, you're enjoying it, probably a nice break from your reality because that mundane, you know, nine to five life. Uh, I've seen it all around me with with people that I grew up with and. That's the Groundhog Day. That movie, Groundhog Day, it describes it brilliantly. Where it's just you need to break out of that cycle, and, yeah. and drugs, for better or for worse, do that. But you know, there's a. I think there's a healthy way to do it, and an unhealthy way to do it. And some people rely on prescription medications. You mentioned mushrooms. Some people microdose. Um, but you know, the the chemical stuff, the party drugs, the you know, the ketamine, the, DMA, the cocaine, that stuff can turn easily on you and you not only become uh, mentally addicted to it, but physically, your body starts to adapt to it and that's a vicious cycle and I can only imagine when you're not getting high anymore, you're just maintaining, like you are saying, that turns yeah. into, just like the job, you're not, you're just kind of, you're not getting high anymore, you're just maintaining exactly. this, that's that existence.
1: It was just doing stuff in the morning just to maintain like a status quo, you know, um, sort of how, how am I going to function getting through work? How am I going to function getting through the day that I don't really fancy waking up and that I don't fancy going to work and I don't fancy getting to the end of the day anyways, but I've got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I've never been addicted to anything in my entire life. I'm, I don't really have an addictive personality as such. I, I can, I can get to a point where I know, right, this is the switch I need to switch off now um but it, i did find myself mo- just moving from drug to drug to do that um you know when the mdma wasn't doing it anymore go on to the ketamine when the ketamine wasn't doing it anymore go to the cocaine um yep, yep. were you taking
2: ketamine and going to work on that
1: uh no that was the evening one that i was, was, the, I was, was gonna the, say
2: fuck me dude. that was
1: that was the disassociative that was the oh this drug does this oh but the, you know so the mdma made me happy during the day and happy during the evening the ketamine when I moved on to that that sort of disassociated me that sort of took me out of being me for five or six hours um you know which which again um in certain sets and settings it's you know that's fine for some people but I know you know I was I was doing it just to not be me you know I wasn't doing it for at that time I wasn't doing it for anything sort of spiritual trying to find myself for um, I was doing it just because I didn't want to be me. Um, I was doing the MDMA because I wanted to be a happy me rather than, you know, just the, the bored and miserable me. What um, were
3: you doing for work at the time?
1: Uh, so predominantly I work in engineering, manufacturing. So I would sort of manage five or six people on a uh, on, on an assembly line.
2: Um, oh, wow. I mean, I, I worked so you got responsibility.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... As I sort of started to get to the end, and I had that, I had a moment of, I can't keep doing this anymore. Um, oh, sorry. So the 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 part four that would be the DMT. So that was that was right. This is the next drug go, I'm going to. I, I found. So this is the next one that's going to keep me going for a little bit because the others aren't really doing it anymore. Um, and I just stuck this DMT into this pipe, um, and wow.
3: So was the DMT um, before or after the the suicidal um,
1: episode? Oh, that was that was that was afterwards. So I probably I probably jumped to the um, so the the way I sort of spiraled down into into that was um, just being I just got to got to a point where the the shroud the black shroud I call it um, had just come down one morning, um, and I I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to go to work. I just, I was just fed up. Um, and it was, it was like a switch. It was, it was like a switch in my head. I'd never, I'd never acted like that in my life. And I, I, I went out. I must have gone to about five or six different grocery stores um, to get paracetamols, ibuprofen, and I, you know, I spent the morning stocking up. Just to, um, just to go. I had enough. Completely had enough. What's well,
2: going it. through your head, man? As you're going from shop <laughs> to, to shop, are you becoming more resolute in your quest to reach that destination? Are you having doubt? Are you questioning your decision? Like, what's what's going through your mind in that morning? As no, you're in, I, your shopping I think, spree.
1: I think I'd gone. I think I'd done all the questioning beforehand. I think I'd spent months, months upon month, questioning that already um and it was like i said it was it was i'd already had like or always had like some sort of shroud of depression sort of clouding over because that was obviously why i was taking the drugs or why i was acting like the way i did um but that morning it, it just clouded over so much and it just it just flicked this switch in my head and it was just right i've, I've literally had enough i've exhausted all these avenues um and I I literally just don't want to be here anymore so yeah I was just focused just shop to shop focused because obviously over here you can only buy a certain amount per shop without them raising alarm bells um so yeah I just went from shop to shop um fully focused on on what I was going to do
3: um yeah that's intense because it's one thing to just sort of like get drunk one night and like toy toy with the idea of like i i want <clears throat> to it's a whole other thing to like be like on a mission to like do um, the, and going from shop to shop to, like, this is what i'm doing that's that's intense that's when you you know you've gone into a very that was
1: that was that was the lucidness of it that was just yeah it, it was no like you said there was no alcohol clouding it there was no um it was just right i've Literally, I'm just fed up with, fed up with all this shit. Bored, um, and I'd like to go. That was. Um,
2: were you in a relationship at this point, or were you on your own?
1: Yeah, I was in. I was in that toxic relationship at this point. Um, I said she lived in London, I lived. Um, I lived in the south.
2: So, assumedly, um, you weren't confiding in her, you know how you were feeling, and there was no desire to reach out. Or had you, intri- that hadn't worked?
1: No, um, I mean, I'd spoken, spoken to friends about sort of, you know, the daily grind and not being particularly happy, but um, no, uh, uh, just typical male, just bottled it up, predominantly. I mean, none of my family knew. Um, I'm quite glad it's coming out on the Patreon place, because my mum, my mum still doesn't know that I went through this either, so, um, but yeah, That's typical mail, just bottled it up. Yeah. And just let it get to a point where that happened.
0: Um, yeah. well that
3: being said, thank you for being willing to go there for us here on the Patreon page. And it does, it is a little easier to talk about, you know, and I'm gonna be sharing stuff as well that um I normally wouldn't share either. And and with that being said, I'll I'll go in a little bit to to relate to you. I do remember a time in my life um where my dreams were better than my reality and when i would wake up in the morning i would be so disappointed and depressed all i want to do is go back to sleep so i was there was a time in my life where i was doing sleeping pills just to stay asleep and Mm -hmm. and to the point where i was cavalier i was like i don't fucking care if i wake up so when i'd go to take you know the normal amount of sleeping pills and this was on tour with the band and not many actually i would say probably nobody knows this um, but, you, you know, you sharing your story made me want to share mine. And there were points where I would, um, you know, I don't I'm not sure if you guys have it in, in England, but like NyQuil, it's like this stuff you take for your cold that helps you sleep. I was yeah. chugging bottles of those at night before I would go to bed in, in my bunk and just hoping that I stayed to sleep. And when you get to that point, you you know, you just don't care anymore. I don't care. I'd be on stage. I would do my thing. I was living this life. Everyone thought everything was great. <laughs> But meanwhile, my marriage was falling apart, you know, and and I knew it was falling apart. So I just started to get to that point where I, I didn't fucking care anymore. And nobody knew. Nobody knew. I hit it very well. And I'd wake up in a total days feeling horrible and just wanting to go back to sleep. Um, you know, there's um, lyrics to a song where you're I can't remember what band it is, but I remember hearing the song and, and just fucking losing it. And it was a song about how you, your dreams are better than your reality so i feel you on that man um so what it's happened not the
2: flaming lips is it you're not talking about that song no no, no.
3: i it'll, it might come to me if i stop thinking about it but um so you got to that point where you took that's a lot of shit to put in your body how what happened then so you you took all these pills you got to that point and then you wake up and what are you in a hospital <laughs> how did that play out brother
1: um I, how I expected it to play out was, um, I took took the ketamine as I as I had done before, um, just so I knew it would knock me out for, um, you know, a good three to five hours, and, you know, taking that amount of paracetamol and ibuprofen, I would have, I, I, I remember thinking, Christ, that's going to be enough surely.
2: Um, just one after the other, or handfuls like three hundred is an awful
1: lot popped them all out literally had all of them in front of me um and i had a pint glass and then just that must have been about two or like three or four handfuls um it sounds weird laughing about it but yeah yeah man it's good I'm to laugh about
2: forward. it yeah um I
1: and mean, what ended up happening was yes the ketamine knocked me out um for about five or six hours but what i probably needed was something to knock me out for about a day because taking that amount of Ibuprofen and Paracetamol gave me um, the worst stomach pain um, I've ever experienced. Um, and basically sheepishly, I ended up calling a friend of mine and saying, fuck man, this is what I've done. Um, I don't think it's worked. Um, you need to call me a, uh, an ambulance um, to come and pick me up and take me to hospital. Um, and if if I hadn't have done that, I would have died a very horrible and gruesome, painful death. Basically, my stomachs would have just, my stomach would have just bled out, um, and probably would have caused me a heart attack, panicking about it. But um, so I ended up waking up in. The, I remember the I remember the ambulance coming there, but I was pretty much out of it. But um, remember waking up in this hospital bed on drips and everything else thinking, shit, one, this hasn't worked. And secondly, you know, what are are people going to think? I then started getting anxiety of what people were going to be thinking of me. And, you know, um, it's just major embarrassment, major embarrassment, the fact that it hadn't worked. Um, And again, yeah, I thought that that would be I remember, like the next day, thinking this is going to have to be the rock bottom. This is going to have to be the, the the low point in my life. And from tomorrow, shit's got to start getting better. Um, but it didn't. It didn't. I wasn't wasn't ready for it to. Um, well,
3: I think there was a reason why that happened, you know. And I, I, you know, we can get to this at some point. But you you serve a purpose, and I think that that is a beautiful thing. Suicide is always something that's really difficult to deal with. You know, the people that are left behind holding their hearts in their hands, wondering what happened. And I think it's beautiful that you're still here, especially knowing now where you are and what's going on right now. And the fact you had the wherewithal to sort of recognize that was rock bottom instead of just getting out and trying to do it again. And I think that's so interesting when you think about depression and suicide and how people can get to that point where they pretty much tried to do it and it didn't work and having the wherewithal to go okay well there's obviously a
2: reason why it didn't work i think i incorrectly introduced that last clip as uh episode number seven jesse but that was in fact from episode number six. That oh yes one. it was yeah it was I'm, I'm losing count getting excited this next one because obviously seven follows on from six is indeed a clip from episode number seven (laughs) uh and this one was again suggested by the wonderful patreon community because our show as we're very aware has a tendency to get heavy and to be dark and we never want it to be draining or a bum out and we we pride ourselves hopefully on you know going into quite difficult and delicate areas but in a way that empowers people and inspires them like it doesn't drain the life out of them if anything hopefully it does the opposite and it you know projects people into wanting to feel good about themselves and and do better and um, you know live in a kind of a a positive way but every now and again we just kind of like to just do away with the heaviness and just have fun I guess we're kind of doing that with these little you know chirpsy little intros here into these clips but you and I as deep and sensitive as we are we like to have fun we like to giggle We like to make each other giggle. And so when somebody suggested that we do an episode based around kind of my (laughs) party stories, although it's not really in line with what we do here, I thought, why the devil not? It'll be a fun point of difference. And it was. And I really enjoyed sharing some some tales from my misspent youth. And uh, they seemed to amuse you as well. So hopefully you got a kick out of it, too, Jesse. And I know that people who uh, who commented on the episode did did quite enjoy it as well.
3: Yeah. How can you not enjoy, you know, exploits of youth? I love it. I mean, everybody's got a story for the most part, unless you lived a really sheltered life. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's great and it is good to sort of take a breath, you know, cause all the, the depth and intensity is, is uh, a comfortable world to live in for me. I love depth. I love good conversation, but laughter is good medicine, man. And there's definitely some funny stories in this episode.
2: I love the one about you reliving the kind of Beastie Boys sabotage video as well. That's a good one, which, which we ended the episode on. But for now, enjoy this. This is a little clip from Patreon podcast episode number seven, story time with Jesse and Matt. It was a good time. So that's our starting point. And then now we'll rewind the time to the year 2000, I think, which when would have been my first ever live show. Okay. And I'll, I'll remember it forever because it was such an eye-opening experience in a very different way. But it was, uh, it was One Minute Silence. If you, do you remember that band? Did you ever? No. You'd find them interesting. They were a kind of an industrial 90s metal band. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they were sort of in the vein of Nine Inch Nails and the Prodigy, a little bit of a new metal flavor in there. I guess they never got out of the UK, but it was One Minute Silence and Mudvayne oh wow and okay. it was like it was a, a split yeah, that was my first gig I, wow. I started very late because i didn't have any older siblings and my parents weren't concert goers so you know right. i didn't go to like any pop groups as a you know as a kid i was obviously fan of like michael jackson and, and you know all of that stuff but I, w- I was never taken to a concert by anybody in my family and it wasn't until i got to school and i was i would have been 13 i think um and all my mates were already going to gigs and they'd all been to see like Bush and the Beastie Boys and all of these huge bands of that time. And I was like, well, I want to go to a gig. I was listening to music and stuff, but I just I had no idea what a live concert was like. So I was you know, asking my friends, what's the next one you're all going to? And they were like one minute silence and mud in Wolverhampton at the Civic Hall. And uh, I was like, right, game on. So we went there. And my friend josh who i was with bought some lsd at the show 13 years of age um and rather than taking it at the concert that night he decided to keep it and take it at 9 a.m the following morning for school wow wow (laughs) so the next day is our end of year assembly right it's a christmas concert put on by the students And me and my band are performing three songs to the rest of the year. We're performing Limp Biscuits cover of Faith. We're doing Deftones, Bored. And we're doing Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name of. I'm singing and uh, all my friends are making up the rest of the band. And this guy, Josh, is in the crowd. <laughs> and he was quite a bit taller than everybody else at this stage. So when you'd sit down in an assembly on the floor, his head would kind of poke above pretty much the rest of the year group and i just remember my head of year mrs Pye, who was an amazing lady and was so cool to me like everybody i think has those teachers that look out for them or at least i hope that they had that experience i very much had that experience because my family kind of quite publicly in the neighborhood and area broke up i was sort of known as the kid from the broken home so a couple of teachers did you know kind of put their arm around me and look out for me and stuff so Mrs. Pye comes up before the assembly's about to start. And she's like, I just want to know, Matthew, is there any swear words in any of the songs that you're <laughs> going to be singing on this <laughs> fine winter's morn? Obviously one of them is fuck you. I won't do what you tell me about 18 times over. <laughs> I go, no miss, no swear words at all. And I'm sat there at the front of the assembly hall. I've got like a carton of vodka and cranberry juice in a cranberry juice carton that I'm just openly drinking in front of the whole school uh, but obviously, it's under the guise of of a fruit juice because it's that's the carton it's in. And I just remember looking out into the crowd, seeing my friend Josh, just like bloodshot eyes, side parting over in his hair like that, looking out into the audience, screaming out all these random not obscenities, but just like quotes from popular sketch shows of the time, and just being really eccentric and wild. But again, because he was kind of that guy anyway, he was getting away with it. And then I just remember walking out, like you know, pretty much tipsy at this stage because it's nine in the morning and I've been drinking vodka for breakfast singing those three songs and just like decimating the the auditorium and all the teachers faces just jaws on the floor like gobsmacked and amazed and that 24-hour period I kind of look at as like my baptism in rock and roll it was my first gig my first introduction although I didn't buy any or partake you know first time of you know an awareness of being around hard drugs and like, you know, going to the concert on the train, coming back, being 13 years old out in Wolverhampton late at night, coming into school the next day, performing these really like hard, brutal, you know, quite offensive songs. And, and then like having a friend in the crowd tripping balls on acid and, you know, all of this going on at the age of 13. And I was like, I kind of like this rock and roll business. I think I think I could find a place here. And that was kind of the start of, of all of it, really. But yeah, yeah. that's my first gig experience. I wish you had
3: footage of you performing those songs. That would have been incredible. And being buzzed at 9 a.m., that's a hard style at 13. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I started I started dabbling and drinking a little, probably a little later for me, more like 14, 15, but 9 a.m., that's, yeah, that's a hard style.
2: It was amazing. And my friend Josh all day, man, was just like ripped. Uh, and to this day, I can't quite comprehend how a 13-year-old's brain was able to process that and not you know freak out and have a panic attack like he's sitting in there in lessons all day and I think because he was as I said quite an eccentric kid Nobody thought it was out of character for him to be like running around the playground, and like he had like his trousers pulled up to like basically his nipples, and he had his (laughs) bag, he had his bag really, really, really high up, and was just you know running around like an absolute madman. But they were like, oh, it's just Josh, and it's just Matt singing, you know, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. And I guess we kind of (laughs) like laid our stall out from quite early on, and we us two, we used to be so naughty together. So then the next gig was Goldfinger. Um, It's a totally different end of the spectrum. But I very quickly transitioned from metal to ska because I had enough anger, I think, and sadness in me from the home situation that I didn't really... I think some people either want to lean into aggressive, angry music if they are a little bit frustrated or they want to go the other way and just have fun party, escapist stuff. And that was more my style. So although my initial way into guitar music was bands like... System of a Down, Corn, Deftones, you know, Rage, all of them, the new metal bands of that time. As soon as I heard No Effects and Pennywise and Rancid and and then Less Than Jake and Real Big Fish and those kind of more fun Californian style American punk and ska bands, that's you know what I very much kind of like aligned my soul with at that time. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna stick on a Hawaiian shirt, get wasted, and you know, go and have fun down at the show. So the next gig was Goldfinger at a venue called the Foundry in Birmingham uh, and you had to be 18 to get in. Cause it was like a pub rather than a, an all ages club show. So we decided if we had leather jackets that would make us pass to be adults cause adults wear leather jackets. So <laughs> me and Josh went down to the market in Birmingham. I got this disgusting like lime green leather jacket with big lapels. He had this brown one. And we rocked up to this show. Sure enough, didn't get ID'd, got in, although we were only 14 at this point. And um, this is really bad now, but this is one of a few little funny incidences I like to share with you. So, just because I was just a little punk bastard, I decided that I was going to steal some merch from Goldfinger because I didn't have any money <laughs> to buy any. Yeah. And it's funny now because I've toured with them a few times and, you know, got john fellman's phone number and he's a friend charlie the guitarist is a friend as well they obviously don't know this and please don't ever tell them anybody but it's just funny that all these years later i'm at a concert I'm stealing from the band and then you wind up being friends with them. They're in your books. I've even been to Feldy's house and I don't feel too bad because he's a multi multi-millionaire now.
3: Yeah. Right. I was going to say he's a
2: big producer. How he's did you, all right.
3: how did you manage to steal the <laughs>
2: so, said items? So they're set up at the merch table. The merch sellers there. Obviously they're often just, you know, the fold out table is where you've got the display items and the till or whatever it is, the PDQ machine nowadays with its card payment. And then behind is the display with all the full items on and then you've got the boxes obviously down by the floor so i found a little hole in from the table that you could crawl in without being seen and put your hand in one of the boxes and and lift out a couple of items so i thought i can crawl through there and i went after what i thought was two hoodies so i put my hand in this box like the guy's busy serving and i'm down and obviously i'm only you know 14 years old so i'm tiny you can get into these little spaces I get out what I thought was two hoodies, but it was actually about 12 t-shirts.
0: <laughs>
2: so, I've, so I've got a dozen or so Goldfinger t-shirts at this Goldfinger show. And I go, well, there's one for you, Josh. Here's one for me. And we spent the rest of the night going around the venue, selling the others for half the price of what they were selling them for at the store. So we were like, they're 20 quid over there or whatever they were. We'll give you them for 10. So we sold all of them, made about 100 bucks and then just spent all of that behind the bar getting absolutely steaming. <laughs> <laughs> scum right (laughs) it's
1: funny i mean
2: it's not scum i mean
3: (laughs) and i love the word steaming that's why i love that word it's so funny
2: so hopefully by now you're getting a taste of what the patreon podcasts are all about you know they're not dissimilar from the episodes you'll have heard through series one of the show Uh, it's just that nowadays we like to keep certain elements of the show on the patreon page and and kind of just you know service that community and build that campfire community over there and then do different things with the public show. I think it works. I think we get to have the best of both worlds, please. The casual listeners and the more hardcore and loyal fan base as well. And if you love the show and you're yet to come and explore all the delights of Patreon, that's what this episode today is all about is showcasing what we've done so far. Uh, And there'll be lots, 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 lots more episodes like this to come this year and beyond. And your support is paramount. To the longevity of this show ladies and gentlemen so please once again uh, if you haven't already do head over to patreon.com forward slash stoke the fire we'll put a link in this episode description check out the tiers on offer and please do sign up to one of them today uh and yeah come join the crew we have lots of fun um and we get deep and we get heavy and i think this episode is it for me was one of the most sad and, and difficult to hear just because of the levels of, of extreme trauma that this poor dude had been through like you know losing both his parents so young becoming an orphan the violence he was exposed to the the pain the loneliness lots and lots of drug abuse um you know these are themes that have come up a lot with our listener episodes and i will say it would be nice every now and again to have lighter listener episodes it's not that we only choose the dark ones is it jesse it's just that they're often the emails that we receive and i think some people are hesitant sometimes to get in touch and be like, well, you know, my life hasn't quite been as littered with tragedy as some of the listener podcasts that you've had on. We'd like to have on all kinds of other stories. It's just that these seem to be the ones that we attract. And again, pride is the wrong word, but I'm happy about the fact that people feel like they can share these stories with you and I, and that they want to reach out and they want to, I guess, share in such detail trauma um and pain in a way that is cathartic to them in a way that's cathartic to other people out there who hear it and feel less alone it's not lost on me how important and profound these conversations are and the effects that they have and and we see it don't we just in the the listener guests who come on their facial expressions and body language and when they relive these moments like that's no walk in the park but they go there for the purposes of this show and, and to be witnesses to that and on that journey with them is profound
3: yeah and i think at the end of the day too you know it's part of the human experience you know some people go through worse situations than others and the takeaway from that is either a you can look at your own life and be grateful you haven't gone through it or you've gone through something similar and you can relate to it or you've gone through something much worse and you think things can get better because they can always get better And that's the takeaway, I think, from a lot of these ones. As heavy as this goes, there's still a spirit of hope there. There's still a spirit of I'm getting through it. You know, and he's not completely out of the woods. He still says he's struggling with things. But, you know, he's willing to wake up and put one foot in front of the other and keep going. And I think that's the inspirational part of these stories. As dark as they get, the light always reveals itself and comes through, you know. And I think that's the beauty of people who just don't give up and I love that about these types of stories to know that there are people who've gone through it, who are still going through it, but they're willing to continue to push forward and, and try to better themselves. And yeah, this this is a, it's a heavy one for sure.
2: Impossible to not be inspired by it though. Uh, and again, thank you to Troy Turner for coming on the show and, and sharing so much with us and for trusting us. And what I really love as well with a lot of these listener episodes is you would think that, these people who come on might be nervous, um, and maybe they are, but none of them really show it because I would say every single listener podcast we've ever done, they do ninety percent of the talking in the episode, don't they? I've noticed that with every single one. We set it up, we introduce them, we bring them on, and then they kind of just go, and we, and we just almost we're, we're almost just kind of like along for the ride, aren't we? It's just them purging. A lot of this stuff and getting it out and then at the end you know we try and wrap it up in a way that summarizes the story and hopefully gives them hope going forward but these episodes really are not about you and me they're about the listeners just sharing their stories and we just kind of sit back and uh, you know, allow them that space i love yeah. that i think some
3: people just need to be heard and we live in a time in a world where not everybody's heard people are distracted by so many things so you've got people who are really going through it that don't have a way to, to talk about it, you know, whether they're going to therapy or not, this is a type of therapy, just being able to talk and have people receive what you're saying and without judgment and allow your story to be told and shared. And there's a beauty to that for sure.
2: Well, here's a little taste of that episode that we did with Troy, which was episode number eight over on Patreon. Here we go.
3: When was there, or was there a certain point in your life where you felt like you just didn't have it in you to continue on like that anymore and you needed to change. Was there an incident? Um, where was the turning point? Because it seems like you're in a much better space these days and uh, you know, you've been retelling this story and you haven't really broken down or anything like that. So to me, it seems like you've obviously got a lot of strength because you've got through it, but there's a light around you and there is a reason why you're still here. Where does that come to head? Was there any particular incident where you started to say to yourself, I, "I've got to make a
5: change"?
4: Yeah, there actually was. I was living with a person in AA because that's when—that's the reason why I went down there was to try and fix everything, or at least try to start to get my life back on track. So I was going to a lot of AA NA meetings and. um I realized now alcohol wasn't the problem. It was actually all the drugs and the pills and shit. That just cut me off at the knees, but um, I think the, I knew that I needed to make a change was when I was living at a sober friend's house. I was living in their, I was living in the back end, not in the shed. It was a, like, it was like a renov, it was a renovated apartment. And I was high off of whatever fucking pills i was taking and i had a hunting knife i was very very taking the a, a hunting knife that i owned and just slash my wrists you know like that's where that's when i knew something had to change like when you hit i hated life that much you know and i'd been jumping all over the place but um when you're emotionally damaged and you throw and you have mental health issues, because I was diagnosed as being bipolar as a kid early on, and then you sprinkle and you're not dealing with these these issues and you sprinkle a liberal heaping of drugs on top of that, you know, it's going to go off the rails really quickly. And um, yeah, that incident of trying to commit suicide the first time that that's when. That's when I knew I needed something had to change. Something had to change. Something had to give. Otherwise, I probably would have killed myself that night, or I would have killed myself later on with the drugs. And That was in my. I shit. This had to be in my thirties well, again. It's all, a lot of this is just like a blur. Thanks, drugs. Can't remember my life. <laughs>
2: Where do you go after Florida?
4: Florida, I moved back to New York. Florida, I moved back to New York. Um, Florida is... A, I was living in West Palm. It was a lot of dead-end jobs, a lot of telemarketing jobs, which I, I despise with a fucking passion. Um, just... I was just tired of the lack of job opportunities. was tired of the... Really tired of the weather. I'm I'm all for heat. I can't deal with humidity. <laughs> um. I I just got I just got tired. I was just like I I miss New York. That's my that's my home. It's where I'm from. It's where I was born and raised. And uh, my uncle Calvin, who I'm close to, he made he actually made the suggestion. He's like, "Why don't you move back up to New York?" He's like, "You know, and I thought yeah, I miss having all four seasons. I miss." I miss my family, you know. I miss uh, being around my fellow New Yorkers because it's Florida is different from New York State. Just something about that New York mentality. I get it, you know. And I thought, oh, well, why not? And at the time, I was living in a halfway house, and I was actually speaking with uh, my husband, who's upstairs right now. Uh, we were speak we were speaking on. Um, we're speaking on a dating app of all things, so on Growler. And I thought, oh, this is gonna go well.
2: Have you gotten married since your email then? Did you say you were engaged no. in the
4: email? Yeah, we're still engaged. I consider him to be my husband because we've been together this long. And I when we spoke on the app, I thought, okay, this is online. This is gonna be short term, whatever. And um it turned out it didn't. You know, he's he's my he's a he's the complete opposite of me. <laughs> where i can be temperamental and hot-headed he's calm and patient and thoughtful and mindful and just not get mad about a lot of things unless he's on the road and people can't drive outside of that like yeah it's like the first healthy relationship i've been in and like he gets me i get him And I remember, and I proposed to him in front of, um, our friends, uh, Santos Santina and it's on their Facebook. Uh, you would have to scroll, you would have to scroll through all their shit, but, um, yeah, they recorded me proposing to him at a bonefish grill and, um, I don't regret it at all. Like, I thought I thought I was a marriage material for so long because I'm like I'm an asshole, I'm a whore, I sleep around, I'm doing drugs, like I'm the last person that should be getting married to anybody. But um, well, that's because you've
2: given up on yourself, right? Because of everything you've yeah. endured.
4: Yeah, and and I I always looked at myself like I'm the devil, I'm evil. Like I have, like I always pointed out my flaws always put myself down then that's because I had no self-worth self-esteem self fill in the blank you know and um yeah and it took it took a long time for me to realize like hey I'm worthy of love I am I actually am a decent person I'm not an asshole all the time like like I'm a decent you know I'm a decent human being you know and uh yeah, I mean, that it took a long time. It took a it took a long time for me to realize that.
1: So you met on a
3: dating app. and when 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 did you get? when did you sort of see that this was a turning point for you? When did you see that this was actual love? Like it was going to be something that was going to last? And obviously, you know him being the opposite of you, as you said, I'm sure that it helped a lot. being around someone who's calm and stable you know you're not used to that did that take some getting used to or did you just like yeah imme- immediately like oh yeah I'm I'm this is good like talk talk about that a little bit because I'm really curious about that because everything you've been through up until this point it's an intense story and then the moment you mentioned you know your husband like the whole thing the whole energy changed in the conversation I could feel that
4: yeah. so talk more about that you know he's awesome he's just well, he's Canadian, so that uh, I kind of, I kind of, and I haven't met a Canadian that I haven't liked. Like, like some, whatever's in the water up there, bring it down here, please. In terms of the, like the manners and social skills and talking to people, bring that down here, please. Like, good Lord, like we could use that in America. Um, he, yeah, we just started talking. It was just easy to talk to him, you know, and I could tell him anything. Like, you it's like you know how you you talk with purple and you can just talk you can just be free you know and you could t- you could just say what's on your mind and on your heart and not feel not feel judged and looked at differently you know like like he gets it like he's been through his own, he's been through his own um he's he's been through a lot himself but i think just being able to talk to him just us talking and spending quality time, that's what's changed. I think that's what, that was a turning point. I think the other turning point, and I'm going to bring, and I mentioned um, this not being my first experience with cancer. He had throat cancer a few years ago. And my fa- I don't even know if my family knows, because I shut down when he was going through it. I literally, and this this is not good. And this has been a pattern of mine that I've been trying to break is shutting down, not saying anything, stuffing it in and letting it fester until this old saying, if you don't deal with your problems, your problems deal with you. Yeah, that's always been the, so that's always been uh, how I operated. And I didn't tell my family because I'm like, holy shit, cancer again? Like I just went through this with my mom, and it's just I was scared trying to get trying not to get choked up. but, um that scared the fuck out of me. like that's I already lost my mom. and it's just like Randy, i that's like that's my husband, you know, like that's someone that I've been with up until cancer, I think it was like four four years or so, you know, like. It's I I love him. Like he's just it's just so easy to just talk with him and just it's hard to it just it's just hard to to explain, but I but I think those two instances were the turning point where it like our relationship got stronger and I knew that it wasn't just a fleeting thing, like it was real it was the real deal. Mm. You know, and here I am engaged and I'm like, holy shit, how did that happen? You know, (laughs) because I'm like, that wasn't supposed to happen (laughs) because for a long time it was okay. Mom died, dad died, losing friends, Um, one of my grandmas passed when I I was younger. And just like everybody I love is leaving me. So I would rather just stay by myself and just, you know, and and just be a, a not... Not a yeah, not a hermit or recluse, but just closed off from everybody, you know, and you can't live like that, you know, you need that connection with people. And um I'm sure at some point I'll tell my my family what happened, but yeah, it's that at that time that was scary. It's like, holy crap, cancer again. Here we go again, you know. So I didn't tell my family. I just put my head I just literally was like a horse with blinders on made sure that he got to his appointments made sure that he was taken care of because i didn't know how i would tell them like how do you tell somebody that you drive them to the hospital they get chemo and radiation and it just wipes them out to the point where they just come home and they go they just go to bed they're tired they it just literally just drains them and you're just helpless and powerless to do anything except just be there for them so at some point I'll, I'll tell them but um i gotta deal with that shit first because i'll be honest i i haven't dealt with that
2: all right two-thirds of the way through the best of patreon montage montage <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in happy new year to everybody today's the first of january a new day a new year uh a new hope but not the Star Wars film. We're not talking about that here today. <laughs> um, another requested topic, which we love receiving. And again, if you want to get in touch and and become a listener guest on the show, the email, once again, is firepod at gmail.com. But you can also reach out to us um, on that platform or via social media just to suggest topics for Jesse and I to discuss on the one-on-one episodes that we do now exclusively over on patreon Uh, and one of the ones which came up a few times was uplifting music and music as a source of inspiration and a a mood lifter Uh, and so this was a really fun one to do this is quite unlike anything that we'd done to date because we kind of just both drew up a little list didn't we and just like rapid fire almost just i'd throw one out there and we'd talk about that you'd throw one back And we just sort of built a playlist vocally as we went back and forth and spoke about specific songs and albums and artists and how they'd, you know, had positive effects on us during difficult times or perhaps just emotional times where they were heightened by these soundtracks. Uh, And then we built obviously a playlist and and shared that as well. But I had a lot of fun doing this one with you and I got to learn a lot about you and and your tastes, which are, you know, some of which are, you know, bands or artists I had never heard before. And I think it's always fun because you can tell a lot about someone by their their personal tastes in whatever it is, music, food. And uh, it's always nice knowing more and learning more about you, Jesse Leach.
3: Oh, likewise, my friend. And I'd love that, you know, music is such a a thing that brings people together. And you mentioned, you know, getting to know somebody through their playlist. You know, when we've had guests on the podcast, you know, on our our main podcast, we on Patreon will post playlists that they've given us. So it continues, you know. Music is just woven throughout. Obviously, we have musicians on the show as well, but I love going and and looking at, you know, what what is Randy listen to? Randy from Lamb of God. What is he listen to? Dennis from Refused. You can go on our Patreon and see what they listen to. They give us playlists. So this is our way of contributing to, to that, and you know, circling back to music and. You know, music, something you listen to when you're sad, it's something you listen to when you're partying and you're celebrating, or if you need a a little boost in the mood, or if you want to dwell in sadness or heartache, like it's there for you. And this type of a playlist to me is just beautiful because these are songs that you can put on and immediately. I'm like in a great place. I've got memories attached to it. And I think we all have that type of thing. So to be able to share that with people to be able to talk about them, to talk about the memories and the way these songs and these bands make you feel. It's beautiful. It's just another way to connect to people and to let people know who we are. And uh, I love it. I think it's beautiful. I look forward to doing more of these episodes because I feel like we can do a ton of them.
2: Yeah, you reminded me of two things there. One is that I have a couple of guest playlists still to post, I which I forgot God. to do in the madness of Christmas. <laughs> there you go. And the other is that because we don't really talk about music on this show, and that's always been kind of a, a point of th- this is our flag, this is our identity, is we don't talk about writing records and touring. You know, there's other shows that do that, and we're not a music-based podcast. But I think what I'd never even realized till that exact moment is the thread is still music whether the guests are musical or not, and whether or not we talk about music or not with the thread, because occasionally it'll come up with a listener or whoever it is. They'll say, you know, this was a band that got me through this time. And the thing that connects us all on this show and in this community is music. And so Patreon is actually the only place where we explore that. And I hadn't even realized that till just now with the playlist that the guests give us with, with episodes like this. But yeah, as much as we're not a music podcast, we really are, aren't we? It's inescapable. That's well, well,
3: well, that's what brought us together, and it's two passions we both share very much. And I think anyone who's come on, anyone, every single person I would say that's come on this show, loves music. So yeah, I guess uh, there's a there's a eureka moment for the both of us. This is sort of a music podcast, deep <laughs> deep at its core. It's connected with with music, which you know a lot of people are
2: connected to that, and I, I love it. It's the universal language. Well with that in mind here's me and Jesse chatting about music here we go Tom Waits closing time um at university I broke up with a girl called Rosie who was my best friend for the first couple of years and then my girlfriend for the final and third year and and luckily she's still um an active figure in my life and somebody that I consider a dear friend to this day which I'm really grateful for because she's a beautiful girl um but when we broke up I remember one night just like getting you know pretty hammered and just walking around exit to the town where I was a student or I just we just graduated and that's when we broke up and I stayed in the area for a couple of months afterwards and I just remember walking around on a rainy dark cold winter's night listening to that whole closing time album because there is a song on there called Rosie um and that whole album very much in the vein of kind of Frank Sinatra in the wee small hours it's that barfly last mm-hmm. call you know commiseration introspection reflection hour and uh yeah that whole record i mean tom waits is you know something we bonded over very early on in our friendship and exchange of of taste and and all of his albums from kind of the early 70s up till the mid 80s for me uh, in fact even even later on but um that particular record is my heartbreak album closing time and that's the one again if i'm feeling heartbroken I'll go to the heartbreak and find the perfect soundtrack to that emotion. And Tom Waits, for me, especially with that record, he nailed it.
3: Yeah, I've got that on vinyl and I'll put that on late nights. Like if you've got people over or, or you know, if it's the night after a night of drinking and people have left my house and I'm here alone, I'll, I'll put that on and, and have a, a nightcap and just sit and be the vibe of that record. You're so right. It's like the end of the night melancholy but beautiful yeah mm. tom waits all fucking day man i think we could do a full hour on just tom waits man so good all right so let's let's flip it into some joy pure joy um this song is called new scream by a band called turnover and it is just it embodies sonically and lyrically just joy it i put it on and i'm, I'm like super happy it's one of those and the entire record that you could listen to um like road trip record you know like just something about it the album is called peripheral vision but uh new scream is the song and it's I think it's the perfect song like I wish I could have thought of this song conceptually sonically I wouldn't change a thing and it just it makes you want to run into the sunset with your friends it makes you want to get in the car and just chase the horizon line it's just absolute bliss perfect song from a perfect record
2: i'm going to go with the entire album uh by weezer the green record which um, came out when i was in my last year of high school obviously they'd had blue which was huge they released pinkerton which at the time received backlash because it was darker and it was different but then obviously you know years down the line it would come to be reappraised as the cult classic that it is and then after Pinkerton, which was ninety five, so Blue was ninety four, Pinkerton was ninety five. Then they disappeared for five years, and Rivers went weird, and I think went to Harvard and painted his whole room black, and you know became a recluse, and just nobody knew what was going on or where Weezer were. And then, boom! From out of nowhere, they come back with that huge hit single, "Hash Pipe." And also Holiday in the Sun, the Spike jones directed music video with the monkeys and um, on the uh, island in the sun. Sorry, Holidays in the Sun is the Sex Pistols song. Uh, And that whole record for me became the soundtrack to that last year of high school and specifically the summer, the tail end of it. And we're moving from school to college and, you know, the absolute freedom and right to passage moment. And. Whenever the sun begins to shine is one of my first go-to albums is Weezer Green top to bottom, such a perfect summer album. There's, I don't think a single song on there that's longer than three minutes. They're all just like absolute short, sharp, pop rock perfection. Um, every song's bright. Every song's upbeat. There's no darkness on there whatsoever. And it just reminds me of such an amazing period in my life and place and time and pure nostalgia mixed with sunbeam energy. It's the, uh, the ultimate one too oh i love that i absolutely love
3: when you've got a record that fits a season not only in your memories but just you know a physical season whether it be spring summer fall winter whatever i'm i'm fully into that and i i love weezer too i'm definitely more of a blue album guy for sure i'm i'm the the cheeky sort of more popular album i love the blue album it's incredible
2: give green a go when you're next out for a spin in the truck I will. I went in the truck. <laughs> Make sure it's still summertime as well. So, you, you know, the window is closing, but before you head off on tour, if you've got to do some errands, get green on. Cause it's only about half an hour long. The album. in total. Do.
3: I will do that. It's fun. I love doing shit like that, especially when it's recommended by somebody I, I admire and respect. So I will definitely do that. All right. I'm going to, before I say this song, I'm just going to read some of the lyrics and then I'll, then I'll go into it. What will it be like when I get old? Will I still hop on my bike and ride around town? Well, I still want to be someone and not just sit around. I don't want to be like other adults because they've already died. Cool and condescending, fossilized. The Descendants. What
2: will it be like when I get old?
3: Man, I mean, The Descendants in general, really. I mean, there's so many songs that shaped me as a young man. And also even now to this day, you know, um, that song for me just hits hard because It's something that I wrestled with a lot when I was younger, a little punk rock kid. Like I don't ever want to be like these squares. I don't ever want to be dead like the walking dead. You know, I don't want to be that. And, you know, there are moments where I had to take on jobs I hated. There were moments where I was sitting at a desk in an office and I'll never forget, man, I um, had just rejoined uh, Kill Switch and I was getting ready to go on tour with Times of Grace and I was working an office job for, oh, for four and a half, five years, miserable at this fucking job. I had to do it because I needed to make money, pay down my debt, and I hated it. I totally lost myself. But that last day, when I clocked out, and I'm not lying, I was—I kicked my cubicle over, <laughs> office space style. I had permission to do so, so it wasn't that rebellious. But <laughs> I undid the screws and I kicked it over, and I like that was my big leaving of my office job. Got in the car, and that's the first song I put on. And I would fucking tears rolling down my eyes. I'm like, yeah, fucking done with
2: this shit. So there you go. Descendants all day, baby. Love the Descendants. I got to watch them play that song this year on a boat in the middle of the Bahamas. Imagine that. Amazing. Incredible. It was, it was top tier. How many people can say that? Not many. Not many <laughs> people can say that shit. And now they are old as well. There's a whole added weight and emotion to it because they're still stoked and they're still retaining You know, that youthful joy for for what it is they started out doing as kids. It's the same four guys, still best friends. I'll tell you a quick story as well. So they were just about to play. It's the top deck is where their set was taking place. I was DJing ahead of them. And as I'm winding down my set, they're getting ready to go on. Both Bill Stevenson, the drummer and main sort of brainchild behind the whole Sonic presentation of the band uh, and then the singer milo were both kind of like we need the bathroom man where's the nearest toilet and i was like i got you guys come with me and i knew like a little shortcut to basically what was a, a sectioned off part of the boat which is like the kids kind of play zone area so they were children's toilets but there's no children on the boat so it's not weird or anything but we go into these toilets and you know you can imagine the actual like um the toilet is for you know a four-year-old kid So it's it's minuscule. And and Bill, especially, is a big dude. I was going to
3: say, dude, Bill on a toilet like that. It's funny.
2: And I'm in there with the pair of them. And then one of the stewards from the boat comes in. He's like, guys, you can't be in here. This is cornered off. So I'm like, oh, man, well, they're about to play, dude. And, like, the nearest toilets are quite far. Can we not? And they're like, no, 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 you got to get out. So I go, okay, Bill, sorry, man, my bad. I'll take you to, like, an, an adult, a proper toilet. So Milo's like, I haven't got time. I'm good, but Bill needs to go. So I take Bill to a normal toilet the opposite side basically of the ship and this is like when they're due on and he's like i've got to go for a number two man can you wait for me so all oh, the st- coffee they drink <laughs> that's it <laughs> so i'm stood outside the cubicle but inside the toilet and all i hear is bill just like <clears throat> going in <laughs> and i'm like imagine if he'd have done that in the little kiddie potty." i was like thank god he didn't so <laughs> he, he finishes up i take him back to the stage they go on and then he's like no I've left my phone in the toilet he's like if anybody finds a phone it's mine and he's freaking out he's like my life's gonna go to fucking ruin without that thing because he's a producer he's got all these things and so i run back thankfully his phone is still there on top of the toilet i get that for them just some little behind the scenes stupidity it's there but hysterical. this is basically also bill stevenson can take a crap before going on stage on the boat <laughs> double denim double denim if you're not watching this episode you really are missing out ladies and gentlemen although i've just learned that actually one of us is not wearing denim it just looks like denim it's stretchy i really want to feel it it looks like a football shirt as well actually it's got that kind of uh, a glow a sheen a shine it's got this netting in the i don't yeah it's my parents bought it for me like i
3: said at the top of the episode and it's quite comfortable and, you know, I'm I'm all about like taking a shirt that I would look at and be like, I don't know if I can rock that and rock it. Just just wear it. Own it. And you know what? I'm looking at myself now and I'm going to continue to wear this shit. It's good. Dude, I think it's m- great.
2: And I Thanks, think your mommy, parents dad. killed it with that <laughs> gift. Your parents killed it with that gift. Yeah. Apparently um, my dad picked it out. So he's got the taste. I can see that. He's a stylish dude. And also, ladies and gentlemen, a previous guest here on Stoke the Fire. We've had on Jesse's dad, his manager, his partner, his bandmates, his friends. Who's left? To co- would your mom come on or would she not be into it? Maybe she would. But I'll tell you, my dad is
3: not at the bit to come back on. Is it? Talk more. Oh,
2: yeah. He's like, when are you having me back on? So, yeah, we got to get Leroy back on. Again. Well, let's let's get him on for a Patreon episode. Let's absolutely make that happen.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure about my my mom. I could ask her, but I know my sister's got some stories. She has a lot. She's been through a lot. Uh, she would be a good uh, guest to have on. So if she's, if she's hearing this for the first time, we'll talk, sis. we will we'll call con- you. <laughs> consider it an
2: invitation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've got another listener guest clip now. Um, a Patreon podcast episode number 10 uh, was with Josh Moore, who lives in like Fargo, but not Fargo, Brainerd was was the location and the thing that i love just selfishly and kind of strangely but just as a side note the thing that i love about doing this show and having listener guests on the show a lot of them seem to be american most of our listeners it seems are in canada and america there's obviously a lot in the uk as well we've had on australian guests and french that they're everywhere but the stronghold is definitely i guess america and canada and i just love the geography and the cultural landscape of of that part of the world, as you know. So when I get to talk to people that live in these little pockets of America that, you know, I've never been and will likely never go to get insights into these areas is fascinating to me. Uh, And hearing some of the just the cultural stories that Josh had about his area, not all positive, of course, but interesting. Um, And again, this was a guy who just kind of came on, bared his soul. It was a 90 minute episode, super in-depth lot of pain, a lot of trauma, tough upbringing, kind of, you know, horrible dad uh, is a theme that's been quite recurrent in this show. But again, fatherhood, this really powerful theme that comes up so often in this show and all these dudes who've been through hell as children, many of them are now fathers and are resetting the narrative and, and, you know, uh, are thrilled and overjoyed to be parents. Benji, who we played a clip from earlier, is a good example. And Josh, who's well, I think had four children, a combination of... Um, from different partners and, and periods in his life, but he's now like this patriarchal figure to a whole gang of kids. And you could see in his body language uh, and just his eyes how happy that made him, couldn't you? And it was a really nice kind of like redemptive angle to his story as we got to the end after hearing everything that he'd been through to hear where he's at now and how you know full of love his life is. Again, it's yeah. hard not to be touched to the core by that kind of stuff
3: yeah, and I think one thing that I can see it right now as I talk, he had a strength about him that was physically on his spirit. It had the tone of his voice, his body language. Like what he'd been through, it affected him, but it didn't break him. i I there was a strength that i I rarely see in people who have gone through the amount of things he's gone through to be able to have that sort of wherewithal. To, you know, to be a father and to take care of himself and to have that just there's an essence about it. I can't even really put a word to it, but I I admire it so much because I, I what he's been through would would break many people easily. And he just has this strength about him. I, I really respect that about him so much.
2: And he did make a point himself as well of saying, you know, a lot of the guests that you've had on no judgment, but many of them who've been through difficult situations have turned to alcohol and drugs and as an escape and he was like one of the things that i want people to take away from from my episode is that i didn't go down that road and you don't have to either and that was another thing which i thought wow like the resilience and as you say the strength of this guy to have been through all of that and seen all of that and remained sober and you know not gone down that road as, as so many have and so many could um Again, massively inspiring. So let, let's jump straight into this clip here. This is Patreon podcast episode number 10. A little taster of the chat that we had with one of our listeners, Josh Moore.
6: God, I hate doing this because I don't want you to think I'm trying to kiss your ass here. Oh, dude, but you're when good. I, you're in a got, serious
3: taste, dude. You're good.
6: I know. But when I got diagnosed with MS, the songs that really helped me get through it, that's right around two years after two two 2011. Was it 2011 when Times of Grace, the Hymn of a Broken Man came yes. out? Yes. Okay. So when that came out, that was two years after I got diagnosed. Uh, the songs that really got me through it, that really got me going was Fall from Grace, with that, where Adam D. did that song. And then, um, holy shit, the Hymn of a Broken Man and Fight for Life. Those, the Fight for Life song, because I was thinking of like, what good am I going to be to my son? if I'm going to be falling apart, if I'm going to be losing my ability to walk or, which I haven't, thank God. But those three songs are what helped get me out of that, out of that headspace with the MS. So, and then, uh, live and love is what got me to just say, fuck it, go in and check myself in. And I need to get my shit straight. And I went and checked in for four days and, it was just, it was just hard, man. It's like real, I can't even explain how difficult it is when you're having those kinds of thoughts about the people that really actually love you unconditionally and are trying to help you. Even my six-year-old, when I got really upset about something one time, cause they, I, I thought they found something bad in my son's head cause he had to get an MRI to make sure he didn't have MS2 cause he was having a lot of the symptoms I had, Yeah. but he, went in and they found an abnormal spot. And then I I didn't know at the time that it wasn't, that it wasn't anything bad, but I got out of the bathroom and I just leaned up against my wall and I just fell down and I started crying because I'm like, how could I have ever thought that I was worried about hurting him or that I was going to leave any of them or anything like that. And my daughter Enola, she comes up to me, she's two years old at this time. And she puts her arm around me and she says, she's like, don't cry. (laughs) And just like sits there and she's like petting my head and stuff. And I'm just like, God, what the fuck is wrong with me, man? And so, yeah, that's pretty much my, my six year old is extremely intuitive and it's, I kind of find it weird, honestly, but she makes me laugh all the time. And everybody that in the house that I live with, you know, my, my oldest or my old, I consider my girlfriend's kids mine because their dad has not been in the picture For 11 years, because he decided to choose alcohol and meth over them. So he hasn't talked to any of them or either of them. So those kids, all of them are mine. And that is the one time I can really remember the specificness of feeling content with myself was when Enola was born. I was sitting on the couch and I just had her on my chest. And then all of us were sitting in the living room, just hanging out and the TV wasn't on nothing. And I just like sat there and I just looked at all of them. And I was just for the first time I can remember. And I don't know how long I just felt like, this is good. I don't care where the hell I live. As long as I got them, I don't give a shit. As you know, I hated living up here for a while because it was hard to go from being a city person to a smaller town person. And I mean, there's still like 90,000 people in this area, but you know, it was hard. Cause I put a lot of my, that's another way I got through it too, was I would always go to other people's houses just to get away from that fucker. And I would always, I, I ended up finding more solace and like just going to places to walk around just to do it. And I didn't have the same thing here, but now that all of that stuff came back to me and I got, and I started realizing how shitty my friends used to be and like shitty as in they would take my car without me asking me they would because i left my key in the car or something they would damage my car and not tell me until i'd already paid for the damn thing and broke my windshield from jumping on it in the middle of winter for some dumbass reason don't know why and things like that you know like i just didn't have good it sounds friends. Was, like,
3: it sounds to me like you're in the right place and yes. it sounds to me that if you you know i certainly do believe in this that there was a lot of divine intervention uh to get you to where you are now and the fact that you are a, a good father and that's almost in a way its own therapy for you and it gives you a reason to live above all things is the fact that your calling right now is to be the opposite of what you came from and it sounds like you're doing that and well, yeah the fact that something that i did was able to help I don't think I'm able to process how grateful I am. But again, I truly do believe that's a power outside of myself and my band. And that's one of the big reasons I still do what I do because music did that for me. You know, music saved me. Music's lyrics that stuck out or or whatever. So the fact that um, that's helped you on your journey, that's a great honor for me. It's well, the- beautiful to hear
1: that.
6: Well, that's how, that's the other way. Like I got through the MS stuff. Like I became, I became a singer for bands from back in 2009 up till now. And I just, I go out and do that. And I just don't pay attention to the, to the disease, you know, Mm -hmm. because there's no damn, there's no reason for me to, what the hell am I going to do? You know, and that's the MS thing. Like I didn't take it as hard as a lot of people normally would. Like my doctor, my neurologist even looked at me when he said, when he told me what it was and stuff. And I was like, so there's no tumors or aneurysms. Right. Cause I was a bit of a hypochondriac and he, he's like, no. And I'm like, okay. And it's just MS. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, so I'm not going to die anytime soon. Right. And then he was like, no. And I was just like, all right, cool. And we can work kind of with this. Just, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's what it was like. I mean, he just looked. He had this this dumbfounded look. Like, do you know what I just said? Mm. And I'm just like, I didn't give a shit, man. I'm like, I can handle this, whatever. I and
3: have I, mean, uh, here- I have two friends that are managing it quite well. um Yeah, and it it flares up and it goes away. But yeah, yeah. My my vocal teacher, Melissa Cross, deals with it mm. on a regular basis. Oh, does she? Yeah, she's I learned how to manage it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. for a while now, but. um yeah. She's just learned foods to avoid, you know, triggered. There's a whole slew of things you can do to help prevent it. So, yeah, that's heavy, but like, good for you. I love that you were like, oh, I can, it's just MS, no problem. But after I, everything you've been through, yeah, I guess so, dude. <laughs>
6: it's, it's nothing compared to all that, you know, like, and I, I first, I found out I had it cause we were having band practice back in 2009, come home and it was in the middle of August. So it was hot and my mm-hmm. basement was like a dungeon. So it was trapping all the heat down there and everything. And all of a sudden, like throughout the week, I could feel like my eyelids and around my lips and my nostrils right here were just tingly. And I just didn't know what the hell was going on. And then I was in the middle of doing some vocals. And all of a sudden I started getting tingling right in my face here on my left side. And then my entire right foot was like on fire. And then the, the tingling kept going across like down my arm and into my hand here. I thought I was having a stroke. And I was only 25 at the time. So I went upstairs and I kind of waited like an hour and a half trying to, and I was doing the stupid thing by looking things up, you know? And I was just like, dude, what the hell is going on? And my bandmates at the time were like, if you were having a stroke, your face would be drooping and you wouldn't be able to talk. And I was like, yeah, but I need to go get this checked out. Cause this is not going away. It's getting worse. Went in, got a CAT scan done. They didn't see any bleeding or anything like that and then they had me come in for an MRI. And then I, they told me like when they put me in, cause I was like, how long is this going to take? They said about 15 minutes. So they said, it'll take longer if we have to pull you out and put the contrast in you to, to see if there's anything, if we see anything. So 15 minutes goes by, I'm like, all right, cool. We're almost done. And then they're like, we do have to put you back in. Cause we did see something that we have to look at again. So they injected me with that contrast crap. And then they sent me right back in. And then boom, I had a bunch of lesions on my brain. And then I had to wait two days for them to tell me what the hell it was. Cause it was the weekend and I got that and they called me at work and I couldn't answer the phone, got home, called them back. And my heart was just like feeling like it was about to just explode out of my chest. And there it is MS. And then I go, so what are you talking about? What do you mean? They said, you're showing signs of multiple sclerosis. I'm like, I said the same thing again, no tumors, blah, blah, blah. And they said, no. And then I went and looked it up and I like, I got this. And then that's when I went to my neuro and he told me all this too. And I'm like, I already knew this dude, <laughs> but <laughs>
3: just handling it like a boss.
6: There's There's just no point. I spend a lot of my life worrying about things and in my head all the time. <clears throat> and I still have a, I still have a hard time getting out of it. You know, that's why music is a big thing for me. You know, I used to write stories when I was younger, but now I write lyrics and stuff instead and use that as my story base, you know, and I've, I've been writing lyrics since like 97. Mm. So it's, uh, in bone thugs and harmony was the first group to inspire me to want to write. So I started writing rap, hip hop lyrics and stuff like that first, and then Slipknot came along and then boom, it all just, I was a metal head from there on out, you know, and started getting more into the heavier stuff in 2003 i would go to record shops see the cool cover buy it yeah and dark tranquility was the first one i did where i was like ooh. i bought the damage done album from 2002 and i was just like dude this album is fucking great and i was like that cover is amazing i don't know if you know the cover but it's like the guy going like this and there's like blood coming out i freaking love that that's such a good freaking album cover
3: it's funny but, too i I've, I've bought records based off of just the cover you know too. i'm
6: i'm one of those people kind of can't
3: that, go wrong with some of that shit
6: <laughs> no some of it was bad some of it was a big mistake though like <laughs> i'm not gonna say who but like there was a lot of bands i found where i was like yeah i'm not digging this and then i would take it back and trade it for a different cd and I would trade a bunch of CDs all the time just to get money to go buy one CD from that same place. trading, Yeah. But now then I started, I did that with Mastodon. Actually, Mm. I didn't really like remission when it came out. It wasn't really where I was at at the time. So I just traded it in. But then once I started getting into Mastodon, after I moved here, I got blood mountain and I moved up here in 2006 and I found blood mountain at Walmart of all places. And I picked it up. I popped it in. I was like, God, that song Sleeping Giant is freaking amazing. And then I just kind of was a fan of theirs ever since that. And then I went back and I'm like, remission's actually pretty kick ass.
3: Yeah, it's it's a kind of a different band for sure from mm-hmm. remission to where they are now. But yeah, their journey's been fun to witness and watch. Good dudes too. I bet. Like
6: that, well, that's man. that's that's what I love about with music. I'm I'm somebody that likes the variety type. I I mean metal's my go-to all the way. And the variety thing comes from Not because I know that they, every album they have sounds different. And they, I know everyone wants them to keep releasing Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. Mm. We need all this over again. It's like, you really want them to go back to when they were at the worst point in their career and dealing with the shit they were dealing with just to make an album that you want again. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. And I'm of the mindset of like if bands or, or actors or whoever are just doing things for their, the fans sake you know, doing what the fans want. I don't, I don't dig that. Like, to me, I feel like that's a version of like, if like if Slepnot were to keep making Iowa, to me, that would be selling out because they're just doing it to appease the fans. You know, I mean, I'm not in your guys's field, so I don't know how that really works, but that's just my outsider view.
3: Yeah, no, an artist needs to be able to grow for sure. And sometimes you may not like that growth, but it might lead to another record years down the road that, will be good something that you enjoy and i think that whole process is something that's very important as an artist there's very yeah. few bands that can pull off just doing the same thing and and people are like yep that's fine like acdc is one i always bring up it's like mm-hmm. they've kind of done the same thing and you know what it's still good motorhead would might be another one too but yeah that's very rare you know and i don't think those guys did it because they're like oh the fans like this let's stay like that i think that's just what that's their wheelhouse that's what they like but yeah, I I love to hear, it. see, cause I'm the same way with music, man. And I love to hear that. It's all kind of almost feels like it's, this is the period on the sentence almost that music is your family, obviously that your immediate family you have surrounding you now, but music being really a, a savior for you in many ways. And I can totally relate to that.
6: And movies. Like I, movies. I don't know what I, where that's I'd be a, without. That's either. a
3: big movie guy.
6: Oh, are you? What's yeah, your dad? Love though? it. My favorite it.
2: is True Romance is probably number one, all-time oh, nice. favorite.
6: Quentin Tarantino story. Yeah. Nice.
2: I, I adore just every component and aspect of that film. Um, and I think the reason it is so good is because it is his script, but he didn't direct it. So yep. it doesn't have any of the overindulgences of his directing style, which is good in certain films, but now I'm totally over his work. I just haven't enjoyed his film since probably Kill Bill 2. Yeah. That's just my hey. personal opinion,
6: but... I I liked Inglorious Bastards, but I don't like reading subtitles because it, to me I I can't concentrate on what's being said and then trying to watch the picture at the same time. And my favorite my favorite films ever are either it's between No Country for Old Men and Seven. Like, wow. Okay. I just, yeah. Yeah. I so love, you you I paint love in dark strokes movies.
2: with your movies as well, Josh? I, I
6: do, <laughs> and I don't even I don't even mean to. It's just that's just where I'm at with. That's how my personality is, unfortunately. But Seven is a
3: fascinating movie. I actually just recently rewatched that again, and it oh. still holds up. It's just brilliant. The whole idea of the seven deadly sins and the way that it plays out, and the acting between Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt and uh, the female—I can't think of her name. Oh, now. Gwyneth Paltrow. Wow, that—that's yep. just that. What's trio. in the box? <laughs> that trio right there. That's a that's a heavy hitting movie. It's definitely worth um, a, a few re-watches. It's a great. That-
6: movie. That has my absolute favorite beginning to a movie ever. I just I didn't know this, but apparently the way that they start that movie with the words flipping all over the place and it looking like an old film reel film reel. I guess that that seven was the first movie to really introduce that. And I, I didn't know that. And I'm like, damn. David
2: Finch is famous for that. Every single Uh one of his films, if you go back and look through everything he's ever made, the opening title sequence is always super pioneering and, you know, like a a work of art in and of itself. He's always had that kind of hallmark.
6: Well, since you said I paint dark strokes with my movies too, I guess my favorite not dark movie, but now when I watch it now, it it makes me feel awkward because it's a bit creepy is Mrs. Delphire. (laughs) <laughs> this is Doubtfire. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, I mean, that one, yeah, I guess, you know, we live in this world now, don't we, where that film would never get made today because it would be deemed mm. offensive. But it's about, it's about I think, the intentions, and the intentions are pure, and it doesn't, you know, ridicule yeah. or, or demean that lifestyle. Um, it's more just a guy that wants to be around his kids and, and will do, mm. do so by any means possible. There's a brilliant Robin Williams documentary called Come Inside My Mind, um which explores his entire career from you know the stand-up days right through till the end and it's a beautiful piece of work and he's just for me one of the most important artists of all time and such a beautiful soul and and you know such a force such a talent yeah i love mrs doubtfire dude
6: i do too but i watched it recently and i'm kind of (laughs) like huh like i don't think I don't know if I'd go that far, but I mean, <laughs> I, I would do, what, I clearly would do what I could to be with my kids. Cause I uprooted and moved here and, yeah. you know, and, but I don't know, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I don't care if you want to dress like you want to cross dress, go for it. I have no problem with any of that stuff. I'm not one of those people. That's like, ew, man, I'm not like that. I I've actually well, been trying say to say, don't me. knock
3: it till you try it. That's what <laughs> so that's, that's true.
6: <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've listened to quite a few of your guys of this, of this, epi- of this show. And honestly, for, to both of you, when I, the, the episodes that stuck out to me the most were Jake, the, um, mm. I I don't know what his last name is, but it's Snuff Instagram Narowski. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. one, yep. that episode, for some reason, like sat with me for a really long time. And I've listened to that one multiple times. I did like purples when that was on too. Cause I was like, Oh God. Yeah. She has been through some stuff. Cause I mean, I, I, I obviously follow you guys on Instagram and stuff too, but, um, but, uh, and I enjoy your guys's posts that are, you know, positive and stuff. And cause I, that I need that. I need that stuff because I'm trying to un myself, you know, and trying to stop being so damn negative all the time. And, um, and then, uh, God, who else was it? Bradley's episode. The late great Bradley. I thought that was a pretty damn good episode as well. And so the episodes
2: really the the themes are struggle and and triumph, you know, and going through the worst experiences and making it through to the other side. And yeah, I mean that's
6: that's I listened to a lot of those the episodes you guys have because of that reason specifically. And that's the whole reason that I wrote to you guys in, in the first place was because I wanted to come on and like say what, what I've been through already. And to, I don't know how anybody, everybody can do it. And it's not going to happen this way. But I, my main thing was I wanted people who saw this episode to be like, Maybe I, if they are going through something like that or have gone through something like that, they don't need to turn to all that other shit just to get through it, you know?
2: Okay, so I hope you're enjoying all of these little tasters. They are, of course, only tasters, mere morsels of the larger conversations which are available in their entirety over on our Patreon page. We're kind of flogging a dead horse at this stage, but we've made a whole episode around the Patreon page, so it pays to throw a few more times to where you can find it. And the place to go to support this show in a meaningful way uh, and allow us to continue making it for hopefully many moons to come. So please, 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 if you are yet to do so, head over to patreon.com. That is P A T R E O N.com forward slash stoke the fire. Check out the different tiers. That are on offer. It's very easy to use. If you don't understand Patreon, if you've never heard of it, if you don't know what the hell it's all about, just head to that website. Everything is made very clear. Uh, You can sign up to one of, I think it's five tiers that we have on offer. Uh, It might be four, but I think it's five. And basically, in return, For the amount of money that you donate, depending on which tier that you pick, you'll get different levels of access and exclusive content as a, you know, a thank you from us to you. And um, yeah, you can download the Patreon app, enjoy all that stuff on the move as you go, as you would the regular podcast. And I'd say now about 35% of what's the whole Stoke the Fire universe exists over on Patreon. So we're nearly at half. And as the show continues to be made and shared publicly, I think Patreon will at a certain point very soon overtake the the content that's available out there to everybody else. So basically if you sign up to Patreon, you're going to get loads more. And uh, yeah, if you love the show, why would you not want more? Um, speaking of more, we have also, as well as having listener guests onto the Patreon page, we've also invited a couple of you know guest guests, people who, were worthy and definitely kind of, you know, in some ways, perhaps we should have put these chats out as the public episodes, but we want to give extra special snippets to the Patreon crew. Uh, and we reached out to our good friend, Chris, number two from Antiflag, who'd been a previous guest on the show. And we said, Do you want to come back and just do a Patreon episode? You know, at this stage, only 65 people will hear it because that's how many Patreons we've got. Uh, and many artists, I guess, in that situation would have said 65 consider me out i'm not giving you my time but chris is a legend and we had such a fun chat with him such an in-depth chat um the first one was amazing but now we all know each other and you've obviously guessed it on one of their songs which we can talk about very briefly before going into this clip but now we're all friends we just sat down and we got into it and he kept referring to the security of patreon which is yeah. funny because we're now going to put this clip out publicly but <laughs> this my friends is is what you will see um goes on over on patreon this is how comfortable and relaxed the guests that we get on are over there and, and how deep and honest we get over there compared to the public show over here which is still incredibly you know warts and all this is what we are this is who we are but that patreon page we just go that extra level deeper and what a beautiful man what a beautiful chat and uh yeah tell us about the tune that you did with those guys which we obviously talk about in this podcast as well
3: Yeah, it's a great song called Modern Meta Medicine and it's a critique on, you know, the current state of the um, pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry and just the corruption that exists there, which is something that I've always been hyper aware of, but I think it's something that, you know, maybe not everyone is really privy to the information and the, honestly, just the evil that goes on. And it's all about money. It's not about caring about people. It's a really good punk rock song. And what I love about Anti-Flag and especially about Chris is it's a genuine spirit of punk. Like when I got into punk rock when I was a kid, the things I loved about it are what Anti-Flag stands for. And you you don't have to believe everything that they say. You don't have to stand on a certain spectrum of of a political stance to get it. It's It's about freedom of thought. It's about putting out ideas and ideals for people to consume and discuss. You don't have to agree with everything, but I just happen to agree with a ton of what Chris says and who he is and the way he presents himself. There's a humility there. There's a passion there. There's a friendliness. There's a an acceptance and an understanding and compassion that goes along with it. That to me signifies a ton of what I love about that community about punk rock. And uh, he's just a great guy And he's filled with wisdom, and it's nice to be able to talk to another musician who's kind of on that level that's traveled the world, that's seen how the industry works, that knows how it is to be a musician and to write records and to go on tour and to still have his mind and his feet firmly planted in the earth. And he's just a good salt of the earth human being. Love the guy. Great talk. The entire episode of this is is one I really enjoyed every second of it, and uh, just a great dude, honestly.
2: Yeah, it's lovely to see these friendships develop. Um, You know, some people you'll bring in because you know, some I'll bring in because I know. And then, you know, I get to know people that you're friends with and vice versa. And I'd like to have on a lot more repeat guests over on just the Patreon page, people like Nick Helm and, you know, people who were just beautiful guests the first time around. But let's dig a little deeper and let's get them only on the page.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods
2: page and get a bit more personal and and just have fun and this was all of those things and, and so yeah. much fun um so yeah enjoy this little clip of, of me, me i was about to say myself of myself <laughs> myself <laughs> and jesse leach and chris number two from anti-flag this is from patreon podcast number 11 uh enjoy the clip and uh yeah we'll see you after this for the final setup of this episode ladies and gents can you wait you're gonna have to
7: i love so much of the music that was there for me as I grew up while being in this band, you know, and, 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 those are the contemporaries that you talk about the shows that we played, you know, whether it's, uh, less than Jake, a uh, uh, real big fish to a lag wagon and good riddance and the fat records side and all of that stuff. Um, they were all, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than they are. So, so I was inspired by that work and inspired by not necessarily, um, you know, what it was sonically, but just that like humans were doing it. Like that Mm -hmm. was to me, the most vital thing that punk rock gave me was when I saw Billy Joe Armstrong and he had pimples and bad teeth and I had pimples and bad teeth. And I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) Like you don't have to be uh, handsome and super like, you don't need to know music theory to do this like anyone could do it like that was the aha moment and then from that point on it's just been about improving the craft and really looking at it um from this perspective of what is the goal and what is the intention and if the intention is to write a song shouldn't we be consistently trying to write a better song um and and and, i mean i have no
2: doubt that all those other bands maybe try that it's just that perhaps they don't always succeed and i don't know what that is but it is a thing with punk rock i think where a lot of it is about you know perhaps the youthful energy of it
7: maybe 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 and 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 i'm going to speak a little candidly so i hope i don't offend anybody but
2: it's on the patreon page so you're safe chris (laughs) but
7: truthfully (laughs) truthfully as somebody who at moments in our band's life did this the record just becomes a vehicle to tour and you get on this treadmill where somebody tells you hey you need to tour because your bank account is getting to a place where it makes people feel uncomfortable and the only way you make money is by touring so give us another album so that i can go to promoters to book you a tour and get you on festivals and then start your loop over again and when that becomes the dictator of your art, that cycle is a bad one to be in. And I and I, and I can speak to it because I've been in it. We, there, we've got two records that came out. This is the only time we've ever put out a record year to year, actually. We, we usually wait two or three um, by, by like design, um, truthfully, because to make sure we are separated enough from that touring cycle so that it doesn't become repetitive. But, um, the one time we did it was because oh this record didn't work we want to go back on tour we need a new one and then you just go right back into the studio you kind of shit out an album because you think nobody knows how to write an anti-flag song better than anti-flag fuck everybody else my ego is what it is now everything i do is good and i'm just gonna make it and shit it out and um You know, that's a record that not a lot of people care about. And it's probably because they can hear that and feel that and uh, it comes through. And so I think that 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 was an eye opening experience for me that it was, you know, it consistently comes back to this thing, you know, I remember meeting Billy Bragg when we were kids and playing like giving him our first record. And it's like, you know, Mohawks and really abrasive and not in tune and whatever, you know, we just play it. And, you know, he's like, awesome, back it. The politics are what they need to be. But you catch more flies with honey, Mm -hmm. essentially telling four kids, write a better song if you want to influence anything culture, the world, whatever. And since then, that has been the mantra, just like, how do we improve my influences are still the same thing. I still love the clash. I still want the rage against the machine riff i still want the intention of billy bragg and joe strummer but i want to be better at writing that version of that song each time and so that's where you know you get into that thing of of what you're doing and i've had conversations with a lot of friends in bands and they literally and i don't know how to say this without sounding like a dick but like i've sat down at catering at the festival With some of these bands you talk about and they've said to me like we're not playing a song that's not from 1997 or eight how you're you're ending your set with new songs how how do you do that and i'll tell you what i told them was you have to play them like you're gonna play the song in your set And people are going to want to hear the song, the older song, but guess what? Commit to it, like actually believe in the statement that you're making now. And don't just go like, oh, well, they didn't dance in a circle or not. Everybody sang along to it. So that song didn't work. It's like, what did you do when you were a kid? Every show you played was like, now the internet provides the space for the song to exist everywhere. But the first time I played in San Francisco, if that record store didn't have our record, every song was new to people. Mm -hmm. So how did you present them? How did you share those ideas in a way that they connected with people who had never heard it before? Like put yourself in that headspace again and, and, and believe in your statements and believe in your art. And, 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 um, you know, I think that's the thing that separates people in bands from, um, or, 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 or artists in general, uh, that's mm-hmm. what separates it from the consumers of art. And, and um, because we're in the safety of the Patreon, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like, like, like whether it's most deaf or Kirk Cobain or whoever said it, if you really fucking love art, you try to make it at some point. Like if you love painting, you get paints and you try you. And so I think that that to me, Is the main thing is like, we can't be letting outside entities dictate what we do because, um, and most def has this great quote about there's a new black star album and everybody really wanted to hear the black star album. And he's like, motherfucker, you don't even know where the gym is at. And I've been in the gym working on this shit for fucking ever. And, and you'll get it when you get it. And it's going to be what it's going to be and that to me has been like really influential like like stop banging on the door (laughs) when you don't know how to cook you know it's just like and i think that that is a very valuable moment is when we start creating things for other people or we start creating them with the intention of this is what someone expects of me that shit doesn't hold up as much and um, those are just lessons from taking swings and missing. And then you take another swing, but, but but keep on swinging, but keep on swinging. And and like, and like, I'm referencing a lot of very, very people here, but that's the thing I love about Paul McCartney is like Paul McCartney. Yeah. He wrote Blackbird, but he also wrote a lot of songs that aren't that great. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just like, it's okay. You know, like, like they're not all going to be, the one, you know, so we we just have to try our best and get out that idea that's in our head, and the rest is out of our control. And, um, uh, so I, I think that unfortunately, for a lot of people, you get caught in a loop and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm just making the record so I can tour. I know our audience likes these kind of chords and this kind of tempo, and we're just going to do that again. Um, and that's okay, you know, um, uh, Uh, But sometimes it does like, you know, it doesn't smell that great. You know, it's, 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 it doesn't feel um, as truthful. And um, those are the things that I I think I, I believe in people. And I think that people have pretty good bullshit detectors whenever it comes to that kind of stuff.
3: I think everything you just said is super important for, for artists and musicians to hear, including, you know, again, Patreon protection here people in my own band need to hear that. Um, And I would say that not about like writing, not a great record, but putting songs in the set that, you know, are going to be great no matter what, as opposed to really pushing your new material and believing in who you are now, you know, and I find that with, with bands that have been around for a while, it tends to happen. And it's something that breaks my heart and and actually annoys the shit out of me uh, because when I'm writing a record, once that record's out, I'm like, that record, I could play that entire record for the set and I'm happy. Like, that's my shit. And you know, you got to give and take because your audience is there to hear certain songs. I get that. But I feel like there's a balance with that too. You know, you got to be careful not to put too much in. And it's it's an uphill battle for me on every tour and every set list where I'm always like, hey, we should put more of this and we should put more of that in. Instead of the, Oh, we made a video for the song, so we should probably play it. Or, oh, we know people are gonna love this song, so we should probably end with it. Where I'm always fighting for a new song in the beginning, new song at the end, sprinkle them in. So, like, we'll still play the shit you want to hear, but you're getting a huge chunk of our new stuff to show you this is who we are now. Yeah. And I think that's super important for bands to hear because you're not going to progress and your relevance is gonna become less and less if you're not pushing that. Like, this is who we are now you know it reminds me of um you know and and again patreon protection here mm-hmm. i we played a festival in europe and um what's the band that sings that song final countdown
2: europe funnily
3: yeah. enough you're in europe and in europe, in europe,
2: in europe, in europe.
3: i remember it was, it was me me and al bar from, from the dropkick murphy sitting in a room talk talking because i had never really met him up until that point i was like oh i you know, via social media out, you know, I love the bruisers. And I was like, I finally have an opportunity to meet him. So we're having this great conversation. Like, so nice to meet you. And I hear that song start to play. And we both kind of chuckle like, oh yeah, they're playing. That's right. And then later on I'm at catering and I'm passing by and they played it again. So they opened their set with that song, played a bunch of whatever, and then played that song again. And it was this pit in my stomach of like, I hope to God, I'm never in a band that is that way where we're just gonna go play the thing that you want to hear and uh, take our money and we're fucking out
7: <laughs> well well it's funny because we even like joked about this because there are a few moments where we've been in um around folks that are i mean is that a one-hit wonder if it's not a hit if it's only like a subcultural hit you're like a subcultural one hit wonder. but we've been around a lot of those and yeah. What's is funny to me is some of them are even like self-deprecating on the hit that they do have. And they're like, Oh well, here's a song that y'all are waiting to hear, or whatever. And I'm like, Man, this is your one triumphant moment yeah. and you're like on that <laughs> too. Like I was like, What the fuck? Yeah. Um
2: but I, yeah. I have a cool example of that, which I've never seen a band of that, you know, genre, if you want to call it that, do before or since, and I doubt I will again. So Wheatus, who've got the song Teenage Dirtbag, they have one of the most incredible fan bases on earth, and they played a gig at the Brooklyn Bowl, Chris, where you played in London, um, and they did not play that song, and it wasn't out of any antagonistic fuck the hit. They just know that their fan base know that they've got so many other songs, and they basically said... They just called out what song do you want to hear? And the fan would shout wah, wah, and they'd play it. And their whole set was just dictated by the fans like that. So any fan at any point could have said teenage dirtbag, but nobody did. And so they didn't play it. And they did wow. this whole set, which everybody loved. The fans dictated the audience. They didn't play Teenage Dirtbag. Everybody went home happy. It was amazing. It was one of the most punk rock things I'd ever seen. I was like, I Huh?
7: Doing like warp tour with CKY. And like, they would do it with their song and they'd be like, it's that song, you know, goes, da, 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 da and they would like sing the riff. And I'm just like, it is so weird to me. Like, like they're like weird out parroting themselves. <laughs> I, I didn't quite understand it, but I, I also don't know what that's like. You know, we've got like, we've got our 10 songs that go from 96 to 2017, 2020 that, are the ones that people want to hear. We not one of them is just like leaps and bounds ahead of another one. And it's like, that's that's true.
2: Actually. Yeah. I never thought about that about you guys.
7: Yeah. It's like, like, even whenever it comes to like doing those record tours, um, we have like five records that did okay. (laughs) Like we don't have like one that sold a million copies or whatever. And like, sometimes I'm like, oh, that would have been nice then you could just ride out on that. But also, like, I think that it just goes to show you um, the politics of anti flag really dictate young people interacting with it. Because young people tend to be the most optimistic and most hopeful um, towards things that are facing them as ills getting better. Mm -hmm. And so what we have is kind of a turnover rate where it's like, you're into anti flag when you're 15 until you're 18 and then you cycle through and so with we each one of those records there's you know now we're seeing it there are a few people who have been with us for quite some time now but the the majority of the audience you know is relatively new to it you know what like in a, a band that's almost 30 years old they've been around for 10 years you know what i mean it's not like There's very few people who are like oh i saw you on the first tour (laughs) like like there's in fact like i think there's none you know um uh if you saw us on the first tour you probably don't like us now um which is okay you know like we're i'm a very different person than i was (laughs) back then i probably don't like that guy either anyways
1: yes
2: and so we've come to the end of the road this is the concluding link uh which will set up the last segment from the best of patreon so far uh giving you a little taster of everything that goes on over on the Stoke the Fire Patreon page. And as I've said a million times already, but I will say one more time here and now, please, 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 please. If not for Jesse, then for me. Uh, come <laughs> come and support us over on Patreon. You're gonna get loads of amazing stuff. You're gonna get to know loads of amazing people, you're gonna get to know Jesse and I on a way deeper level, but also everybody else over there, just some of the most fantastic, genuine, authentic, supportive human beings. They all engage with each other every single day. They've been through life events together, and it's quite wonderful to witness all of it taking place all the time. But yeah, patreon.com forward slash stoke the fire is the place to go. We really need your help to continue to make this show, to evolve it, to grow it. uh, And you just get loads of amazing stuff in return. So everybody is a winner. And uh, our final clip is our most recent check-in with Jesse and myself and uh, we'll play that clip. And then I think we'll, we'll say goodbye. How does that sound, Jesse? Perfect. Couldn't have said it better.
3: Here's the clip. I think that's a real analogy for feeling at peace. And that's beautiful. When you're that comfortable with somebody, you can just kind of knock out and not worry about it and not feel embarrassed of like, wow, I just passed out on your sofa. It's, that's a beautiful thing, but you know, I think the word is family. You feel loved, you feel accepted, you feel understood And I think anybody listening will know, like, we all need that. We need it. And if you don't have that, if you're not in an area of your life where you you have that, I think everything tends to be difficult. You feel displaced. You feel alone. And that's, you know, we've had many talks on that, and even just recently about feeling connection with people. That's super important. And if you got all that stuff, you can face the more difficult stuff. You can face people that are insulting you or are making you feel less than about your career and your life. But I think, you know, big picture here is like, that's all part of the journey. It really is. Like we're not, everything's not going to be perfect. It's never, you know, people always talk about happiness, wanting to be happy, happy, happy. Happiness is fleeting. It's fleeting. Mm
6: -hmm.
3: Peace. Peace is something you can find. If, if you've got peace, it stays. So regardless of what you go through, That's your foundation, you can stand on it. Where happiness is an intense thing that happens every once in a while. And it's unrealistic to think that that's going to stay in your life. So having those peaks and valleys, whether it's with your career or your personal life, those lower moments, those slow moments, those moments where you're not feeling so good, they're eventually gonna lead back up again. At least they should. And that's all part of the journey. You need those moments to help you appreciate the moments when you are feeling good, when you are feeling successful, when you're reveling in the fact that you're on a boat with Kiss and you've and you and you've been invited to do that because of who you are, that's pretty extraordinary. I don't know how many people would just get a phone call like, hey, do you want to jump on a band with a, a legendary rock and roll band and we're going to pick you to be the guy? Like, that's pretty amazing, dude.
2: Yeah, and that's not lost on me. Uh, and the extreme gratitude that I feel for that, um, you know, is... Something that, I mean, that's like a bucket list childhood dream gig for me. As a kid, I just fell in love. I've always said there's kind of three, along with all the bands that I love and talk about all the time, I don't need to go through the whole list. There are three bands for me that will always make me feel like a child with just that absolute excitement of discovering music and rock music in particular for the first time. That's ACDC, Alice Cooper and Kiss. And those three bands just plug right into that absolute wonder that art and and entertainment gives us. And and so to go out with them and as you say, to be like specifically approached. Um, and I will share this funny story. So in a couple of weeks, I'll be putting up a podcast from the boat, which I recorded on the boat, a live Q and a with the whole band. So it was Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Tommy Thayer, and Eric singer, all four of them. And, um, before we were going to go on stage, because a lot of the questions were submitted from people on the boat. So it was kind of a list of crowd fan questions. I was going to work my way through them, and then I'd fill the rest of the time with my own, and that's kind of what I did. And there was no questions in the deck for Eric Singer, as there often isn't with these types of scenarios, which is why, even in my radio days, I would always try to request you get two members of a band, maybe three at a push, but often, as you'll have known from all the press you'll have done over the years, When you have four or even more, five people being interviewed, very often a couple of those people are either going to not be asked questions or they're just not going to talk. And so they're kind of just there and they're almost like dead weight, especially if it's for TV (laughs) or in this case, a live thing. You know, there's just a couple of lemons sat there doing nothing and you kind of you could do without that. So I'm kind of approached before we go on stage. Someone has a whisper in my ear. No, it wasn't before I went on stage, sorry, because I had to have had time to choose my outfit accordingly. So a few hours before the q and I'm approached by somebody within the camp and they say there's no questions for Eric in the deck of cards that we've got to give you. Can you make sure you bring him in and, and ask him questions? And I'm like, of course, that's what I do. I'm not going to leave him out. Don't worry about it. I thought, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go one further because he used to play drums with Alice Cooper. He's feeling a bit left out. I've got an Alice Cooper shirt here, so I'm going to wear an Alice Cooper Uh,
0: t-shirt
2: as a subtle way of showing my solidarity with this dude. Right. But also thinking this might piss Gene off because he is notorious for his um, particular (laughs) favoring of kiss merchandise over all others. Yeah. You should have um, been wearing the kiss shirt according to him, no matter what, right? It doesn't, you (laughs) can never win. It doesn't matter. And so, I'm going to wear the Alice Cooper t-shirt. So I wear it. <laughs> We're on stage. We're in the middle of the interview. And Gene just kind of like interrupts me. I can't remember what I was talking about. It was nothing to do with Alice Cooper, but he interrupts me and he's like, can somebody get this delusional asshole a kiss shirt? <laughs> And he starts, he starts laying into me. For where he's like, you, you're wearing a fucking Alice shirt at a kiss event. He's like, have some respect. Where are the colors? Just laying into me. And throughout the course of the hour long chat, he probably does so about, I think, four times. He just keeps bringing it up, bringing it up, even where we're completely off topic. And it was so, so funny, man, just watching. And at one point, he actually like ordered one of his team to go and get me a kiss T-shirt. And they didn't come back with it. That made him even more angry. And he was just getting more and more visibly frustrated and annoyed that I'd had the audacity to wear an Alice Cooper t-shirt to a kiss event. Now, I know if I'd have worn any number of other band t-shirts, Killswitch Engage, for instance, I don't think it wouldn't have gotten under his skin in the way that it did because Alice Cooper is the one band that Gene can't claim to have influenced or, <laughs> or or made the career of because he was doing the makeup thing before kiss and so yeah you know i wish i'd have had the balls I, I thought it would it would have been too disrespectful and rude of me but i really wanted to say to him on the stage in the middle of the q a like come on gene we all know no alice cooper no kiss right but i didn't have the balls to do it in the end i thought it'll probably throw me overboard or put me in the brig Yeah, I think that's wise. That might Uh have been a a step too far in the direction with that man's ego.
3: But I think what you did do probably created a, an environment where that just sounds
2: hysterical to me i love that it was so funny. and all people talked about for the entire week was that anytime i saw someone on the boat they'd be like hey it's the guy it's the guy people were then dressing up as alice cooper for the halloween party and it, it became this talking point on the boat because he was just he was so visibly annoyed and just kept bringing it up and i dealt with it very well everybody was really impressed that you know because I, I i just took it i was like i'm not going to fight back i'm not going to get hurt you know no. I, can, I can see what's happened here and i kind of revel in it and it's like i've punked gene i've done it in a subtle way he knows it but at the end of the interview he comes up to me and he's like look you know i'm sorry if i led into you a bit there but next time wear a fucking kiss shirt all right yeah. <laughs> no that's great it was so good. So yeah, listen out for that. That'll be on my show in a bit. But yeah, um, I did a great interview with their manager as well. He loved it. He was really happy and the whole team were really happy. And and yeah, it was just total bucket list dream come true gig. Um, and yeah, it it was enough to completely like reinstill my faith that I'm on the right path. And sometimes you just need these. I mean, it has to be a sign. It has to be, it can be no coincidence that I'm pretty much right on the edge of tapping out and, and, and doing so with you know love in my heart and feeling like i've i've done it and i'm not annoyed that it's come to an end like just grateful that it all happened and then just it's like that um line from i think it's godfather three al pacino says he's like every time i try and get out they pull me back in
4: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah and
3: i think it's it speaks volumes too because i do remember the conversation we had where you weren't uh defeatist about it you were accepting you know and i think that's healthy you weren't angry about it, you are sort of like, well, maybe it's just my time. And I I feel like, you know, whether you want to call it the universe, whether you want to call it God or whatever the case may be, when you have that state of mind where you sort of surrender, you let go, you're not pulling with all your might towards something. Oftentimes that's when things happen to show you you're on the right path. And I think that's the way to be. Stay humble. Keep working hard. Uh, don't let people knock you down too much. And and don't, I hate to say don't want things so bad, but there's a way to go about it where your desire isn't overtaking you and blinding you to the point where you're not seeing your own progress. And I think that tends to happen when you're living a freelance artistic life is to to get frustrated, especially when you're talking about you know money. Like if money's not making ends and you have to go work at the pub and that's hard. Super hard to do, but um, I also think you bartending is a whole other spectrum of what you're doing that adds to what you're doing as well. I it because I've I've done bartending and you see how bartending is. It's a it's a test of your uh, of your patience, but it also can be super fun and sociable. So that's another aspect of maybe you're still in the the training grounds for what's coming next. Cause who knows? And you do have things coming at you and who knows where
2: that's going to lead to. I'm excited for you, man. All right. That's a little clip from Patreon podcast numero 12. Uh We have actually published episode 13 on the, on the Patreon page, but it's only just gone up and it's a little fresh and I need, I need episodes to sit and percolate for a while before I can really decide what I think the best parts of them are. And that's what I've done. With, with this week's episode. I say I, we, but, um, you know, I, I did the groundwork with this one, ladies and gents. I don't mind admitting it. <laughs> I went through no, all it's... the episodes and kind of picked out what I thought was a, you know, a real window into the crux and the core of each conversation that, you know, encapsulated the magic. And what I came to learn, if I can say so, Jesse, is we do, te- we have a tendency on this show, whether it's me and you, whether it's me and you and a listener or me and you and a guest, we have a pretty good hit rate when it comes to capturing magic. And I think just because our intentions are always just to hit record without too much of a plan and just be authentic and open. I feel like as long as that's the driving force, you can't really go wrong. I agree. And I think that's how we've been from the jump.
3: And what I think is even more unique is the fact that we do have two different platforms in which we exist you got the one that goes up for the public and that's a little more polished, a little more um, um, thought out, I guess. And then the Patreon is just kind of a wild card. You never know what you're going to get. And not only with just the listener episodes and the one-on-one with Matt and I, but you're, you're getting snippets of me and my personal life. I'll randomly check in and just give advice or share thoughts about what I'm doing. You know, I'll be on a hike in the mountains and I'll be sort of catching up with myself and something will hit me and I'll think, wow, I'm going to share this with my Patreon community. And it's always sort of a thought that stays in my mind. And it's because of what we set up over there, the people that we've encountered, the relationships that we have. And as Matt has mentioned a few times here, you know, there are friendships and, and support things happening over there that have nothing to do with us. We've started the Patreon page, but It's really turned into something that, you know, we wanted it to be that way, but I couldn't have imagined the extent that it's gone from not even just the Patreon, but the access you get to our Discord as well, which is a constantly evolving thing of, you know, movies and music and, you know, I'll come on there and and recommend music you should listen to. And then there's discussion about music and genres and people inviting each other to certain events. Like it's just turned into this huge thing that I honestly couldn't have imagined. And it all happened through the Patreon community and everyone who supported us there. Um, and and I feel like we're still evolving. You know, what's up there now is a lot. It's a lot to digest, but I get ideas all the time. I think it's an ever evolving thing. So it's a win-win situation. And and honestly, you can come in on the ground level for just a couple of dollars a month. And the great thing about it is too, dip in, pay for it and if it's not for you you can always stop doing it but if it is for you you'll see there's more and more to be gained it's a whole other world and i think the true essence and heart and soul of what stoke the fire is lives on that patreon page and and that to me is like the period on the sentence you really want to know what this is about what matt and i are all about what our people are all about it's it's on the patreon page for
2: sure yeah. I feel like you nailed it there. You know, season one, we kind of set up shop and said, this is everything that we, we do and, and hope to do more of. And now we've taken chunks of that and put them solely in the Patreon community space. And I actually was brought to tears um, just before Christmas. They kind of mentioned that they'd started a, a, a you know, a Patreon book club and the first book they were going to do was mine and they'd all bought it. And oh, I, was, I, love it. I, I was literally like moved to tears. It was so sweet um and i just love the community that we're building over there and i hope that it can continue to grow so yeah please do check out the page if you're not already um what was i going to say as well there's a couple of things i wanted to mention before we go oh so the best day to join patreon is the first of any month because that's when the money comes out so if you join halfway through the month you pay on the day you join and then you're only getting half a month's worth of stuff, right? But if you join on the first, you get charged on the first, and then you have a whole month to enjoy what's on there. And as Jesse said, if you figure, eh, maybe this isn't for me, maybe I don't need this much stuff. I can just enjoy the public show every couple of weeks. Then you can just do a month, tap in, tap out. But the first of any month is the best month to sign up because you get the full month uh, for your sign-up fee. So please, today is the best day to do so. Obviously, I know over Christmas, you spend a lot on everything else, but a couple of dollars you can join in and see what's up over there we'll have a zoom hangout at some point this month which we do every month with everybody over on patreon where we just jump on zoom and just chat and get to know you all it's wonderful uh there's behind the music clips where we you know talk about times of grace kill switch engage various musical projects from this man right here speaking of which uh when do you go into the studio to lay down vocals on the new record mate that's got to be imminent
3: yeah it's imminent um i'm at this point and when this episode goes out about six demos in uh, and I got about another eight to go and then I need the boys to approve what I've done. So musically we've kind of got it set up. I'm just hashing through lyrically and, and um, melodically and just figuring out what I can do that is unique. Cause I really want this record to be unique. So if I were to, to guess, I'm going to say this spring will be uh, laying down the record and hopefully We'll see a, a twenty twenty four release, twenty twenty-four, I would say, would probably be the year because uh, we do not want to rush anything at this stage in the game. You want to put out the best thing you can do, and that's gonna take some time. But I'm enjoying the process. It's uh it's it's challenging, but it's definitely rewarding. So yeah, stay tuned. It'll be a while, but it's happening.
2: Hell yeah. Well, yeah, you mentioned on a few episodes that we've done how um you usually feel a lot of pressure and strain when you want to step up to the plate in such a way but I guess the theme this time around is you're more I don't know whether confident is the right word but you're, you're relishing and enjoying the process more you're more comfortable in it and, and and there's less anxieties and more just like excitement and hunger and that's rad
3: yeah that's exactly it. you just summed it up perfectly that and I think just exploring my voice more you know um, since getting lessons and having that surgery in 2018 and just testing out my new stuff it's like i I have more freedom and less fear and anxiety with my voice because i've always struggled with it and i feel like i'm on a whole new level now so what you're going to hear is completely different from anything we've done because my voice is doing different
2: things so yeah it's been fun for sure amazing and please do get in touch if you want to suggest guests for the show for the main show as well. Uh, We always love hearing your suggestions and who you you would like to hear interviewed for stoke, the fire. So uh, email us stoke, the fire pod at gmail.com. If you're not already, please follow us on social medias at stoke, the fire pod. You can suggest guests on there. And before we go, Jesse, let's wrap by teasing uh, the next guest that we have the first guest of the year, Adam from the, I have to remind me of the name now. Sacred sons. I ran into two of those dudes at the coach station in Bristol, just before christmas because you know that you know how adam was saying that there was an event taking place in devon obviously bristol's pretty near to devon i was going maybe home for christmas or maybe somewhere no i was going to birmingham for a couple of gigs and i'm at the coach station and i see these guys in sacred suns hoodies like a day or two after we'd had the chat and i was like again the universe just yeah (laughs) revealing itself how amazing is that so sacred suns tell us a little bit about that Little bit about Adam, and then we'll, you know, leave on that cliffhanger and and say goodbye.
3: Yeah. Sacred Sons uh, is something I've discovered a a while back and something I've sort of quietly been following. And what I love about it, um, it's a spiritual movement, um, not non religious, just a spiritual movement about being more in touch with who you are as a human and uh, predominantly about masculinity redefining what masculinity actually is and dispelling the myths of quote-unquote toxic masculinity. Uh, and they do a lot of great work with with obviously men, first and foremost, but all those fathers and sons. They do retreats all around the world. They put out a, a record of music. Uh, the vibe of those guys is just super positive. Um, I can't say enough about it. It's something that really... Excites me, And if you watch any of their clips on social media, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll feel inspired. It's a beautiful organization. And it's just a bunch of guys who are just trying to make the world a better place. And I know that sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. And they really are doing great work for for people and for humanity. So
2: yeah, the episode is gonna be great. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Awesome. Well, yeah, that'll be our first guest episode of the year. I hope you've enjoyed this little best of montage compilation thing. Uh, And hopefully it has wet the whistle and inspired you to go check out the Patreon page. So please go do that right now. I'm I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. (laughs) Love love you, Jesse. Great chat as always. Love you, brother. uh, Look forward to another year of amazing conversations with you and, and everybody else who's who's in on this journey with us. It's been nothing but an absolute joy so far, and it only gets better the more time goes on. So here's to many more, mate. Cheers to you. Yeah, brother. Cheers. Thank you, everybody. Donk.